start. Can start. Uh, uh, I will start in French, uh, just a little. Okay. Bonjour à tous et à toutes. Uh, donc, bienvenue sur cette troisième édition uh, Space International. Pour ceux qui ne me connaissent pas, je suis Anne-Louise Bocquet, je suis l'hôte de ce Space et je suis accompagnée des docteurs Tiffaine et Dopaminergique 13 en tant que co-animatrice. Je me présente rapidement avant de laisser mes collègues se présenter. Donc, mon nom est Annelise Boquet, je suis PhD en biologie spécialisée en immunologie. Je suis enseignante d'hématologie immunologie dans des établissements privés d'enseignement supérieur, donc après le lycée. Et je précise que je n'ai aucun conflit d'intérêt, qu'il soit financier, personnel ou privé. So, I will translate a little bit in English. So, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome. <laughs> on this third uh, edition of the International Spaces. Um, I'm Annelise Boquet, the host of this space, and I'm accompanied by uh, Dr. Tiffany Pinsol and Dopaminergic 13. Uh, I will quickly introduce myself before letting my colleagues introduce themselves. So, um, my name is Annelise Boquet. I'm a PhD in biology, specialized in immunology. I teach hematology and immunology in private higher education establishments. Um, so uh, that's after high school. And I have no financial, personal or private conflicts of interest. And now uh, I pass the microphone to Dopaminergic 13. Et donc maintenant je passe la parole à Dopaminergic 13. Bonjour, donc je me présente, je suis Dopamine, non, je pense que certains me connaissent aussi. Euh, je suis PhD en recherche sur les, les rythmes circadiens et sur euh, l'impact du stress chronique et du stress euh, euh, très ponctuel pour les travailleurs euh, en santé ainsi que le pers les personnels de, de, de l'armée. Et je travaille en, en Asie sur, euh, à la fois sur la, la recherche pure et ensuite sur les applications en technologie pour déterminer ce genre de Uh, my name is Dopaminergic 13. I uh, am a research scientist, PhD research scientist in circadian rhythm disorder as well as burnout and uh, the physiology of burnout um, for the military as well as healthcare workers, especially people with shift disorder. I work and live in Asia and I'll be doing most of the translation uh, today, so bear with me in terms of uh, uh, subjects, in terms of terms, and uh, in terms of speed of translation. Thank you and welcome to the space. Stephen, can you introduce yourself just a little bit? Thank you. Bonjour à tous. Donc, je suis Stephen Pinsol. Je suis PhD en microbiologie, spécialisée en résistance bactérienne aux antibiotiques. J'ai travaillé dans l'industrie pharmaceutique. Bonjour à tous, donc, je suis Stéphane Pinsol, je suis à l'hôpital PhD en microbiologie spécialisée en résistance à l'acné, mais parce que je suis atteinte de la maladie de Lyme. J'ai également travaillé dans le champ des relations structure-fonction des protéines, c'est-à-dire par cristallisation et diffraction aux rayons X. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Stephen Pinsol. I'm a PhD in microbiology. 
Uh, I've been working in academic research, clinical research, uh, public hospital, and um, arteries from um, the pharma pharmaceutical industry. Um, there is the, in the field of um, antimicrobial um, resistance. And um, I've been working in the field of clean structural uh, function relationships um, by um, crystallization and X-ray diffraction. I have no link or conflict of interest, um, personal or, or professional. I'm not working anymore at the time because I've got Lyme disease, but I'm not retired because I am too young. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Euh, donc, comme je l'ai dit, il s'agit de la troisième édition donc des Spaces internationaux. Alors, nous avions convenu de ne faire un Space qu'une fois par mois, voire toutes les cinq à six semaines. Donc, il s'agit ici d'une véritable exception. Lors du Space du vendredi 4 août, nous avons abordé les preuves scientifiques de l'origine laborantine du SARS-CoV-2 grâce au docteur Valentin Brutel, qui a eu la gentillesse de venir partager ses connaissances en bio-ingénierie. À cette occasion, nous avons eu des intervenants de qualité, dont le docteur McKern et Monsieur Charles Rixet, ici présent. Nous avons parlé des résultats obtenus par les docteurs Alexandre Washburn, Valentin Brutel et Antonius Van Dongen, à savoir l'obtention de six séquences génomiques d'une longueur inférieure à 8 kg de base, par digestion enzymatique, et des digestions enzymatiques qui permettent des modifications efficaces du domaine de liaison de la spike à son récepteur, ce qu'on appelle le domaine RBD, ainsi que l'introduction du site de clivage furine. Nous avons d'ailleurs parlé de ce site de clivage furine et des questions que nous pouvions avoir le concernant, notamment en lien avec le neurotropisme de la spike et du virus. So, I will let uh, dopaminergic satin uh, translate this part. Sur, sur la partie technique, il va falloir m'aider parce que j'ai pas pris les notes sur tout. So, uh, in, in, uh, in the preceding uh, space that we did earlier on, normally we would do these spaces only every five weeks or so. Uh, but uh, because of the subjects that were raised and the question that were raised during the preceding space, Uh, with uh, Dr. Valentin Brutel, who was um, there talking about the papers that they published. A number of very specific scientific questions were raised regarding furin cleavage site, as well as many other technicalities, which um, Anise will um, specify in a, in a minute. And therefore, we thought it would be extremely important and relevant for the audience to um, extend a little bit in uh, both the scientific realm of the um, Uh, the virus and the uh, the gain of function subject, um, and to allow our two guests, which we will introduce very shortly, uh, to um, raise more question and to perhaps apport, you know bring to the sub to the uh, subject a lot more details that we could uh, approach on the preceding space. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. And the last time we talked about the results obtained by Dr. Alex Washburn, Dr. Valentin Brutel, and Dr. Antonius Van Dongen. Um, they obtained um, around six genomic sequences less than eight kilopay pair bases long 
Uh, it's around, it's less than uh, 8,000 base pairs uh, by enzymatic digest digestion and enzymatic digest this enzymatic digestions uh, allow efficient, efficient modification of the spike binding domain to its receptor. It's called the RBD domain, as well as the introduction of the furin cleavage site. We've talked about this furin cleavage site and the questions we might have concerning it, particularly in relation to the neurotropism of the spike protein and the virus. Uh, now I'm going to switch in French just a little bit. Thank you. Donc, comme je l'ai dit, il reste de nombreuses questions que nous voudrions mettre en lumière, comme qu'en est-il des variants de la lignée Omicron Si le SARS-CoV-2 n'est pas un virus très mortel en apparence, quelles propriétés de la spike pouvons-nous redouter En effet, nous avions également abordé la question donc, du neurotropisme, comme je l'ai dit. Et est-ce qu'au final, il n'est pas plus stratégique d'avoir une spike, un virus qui tue dans le temps et non dans les jours ou les semaines qui suivent l'infection. Et cela est inquiétant car nous le rappelons, les campagnes dites vaccinales ont été basées sur la protéine Spike. Plus précisément, est-ce que c'est une bombe à fragmentation et à retardement euh, Car il s'agit bien d'un GOF, donc c'est-à-dire d'un gain de ponction. Mais est-ce que vous savez ce que c'est qu'un GOF Exactement. Dopaminergique, can you translate it yes. in English? Just um, so, so many questions remain, um, in particular the questions related to the Omicron variant, um, as well as if uh, SARS, even if SARS-CoV-2 is not a terribly deadly disease for most people, uh, what if it, it, in fact, because of its neurotropism, um, actually it, 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 it turns out to be something much more dangerous, but in the long term. So we'll be discussing the potential long-term effect um, and knowing especially that the vaccines were uh, essentially targeting the same protein that was in the virus, essentially the S protein, which is in itself a, a, a very suspicious construct. And therefore, the question that Annelise and, and, and Tiffen and our guests will be raising is, uh, is it a bomb, a sort of biological bomb? Um, sort of created out of gain of function? Uh, and if so, what are the things that we should be looking out for? And what, what are the things that we should be spending time understanding uh, in order to remediate if it can be remediated? Par ailleurs, si l'origine laborantine est confirmée, en fait, qui finance de telles recherches? Quels sont les enjeux politiques, stratégiques et militaires derrière? Pourquoi ces recherches sont faites? Donc c'est déjà trois questions assez importantes. Donc je répète, c'est l'origine laborantine. Si l'origine laborantine est confirmée, qui finance de telles recherches Quels sont les enjeux politiques, stratégiques et militaires derrière Et pourquoi ces recherches sont faites Et les brevets concernant l'aspect du SARS-CoV-2 sont perturbants. Ils soulèvent eux aussi euh, de nombreuses questions. Et on va essayer de vous apporter donc quelques éléments de réponse complémentaires. Et c'est pourquoi nous accueillons aujourd'hui le docteur Kevin McKern et M. Charles Rixet. Mais avant de leur donner la parole, je vais donner quelques règles de bon déroulement du SPACE. Donc, les questions seront posées deux fois, une en français et une fois en anglais. Les auditeurs pourront monter pour poser leurs questions, et c'est euh, Tiffen 
qui va se charger donc, de euh, faire monter les personnes. Les questions, s'il vous plaît, doivent être précises et concises. Donc, dopaminergique traduira directement les questions, soit du français vers l'anglais, soit de l'anglais vers le français. Et euh, s'il vous plaît, si on peut parler doucement euh, pour éviter que, euh, pour permettre à Dopaminergique de prendre des notes et de traduire vos propos, chers invités, de manière la plus fidèle possible. So if, if gain of function is confirmed, then there is a number of questions we might discuss. Who's funding such research? Um, what, uh, what are the objectives of such research? Uh, what are the geostrategic, military, financial, political um, repercussion of these? Uh, another set of questions surrounds the IP of SARS-CoV-2. Um, again, uh, both in terms of when it was delivered, um, who benefited from it, and who's effectively using those things now in relation to the vaccine and vaccine strategy. So uh, Anise just spoke about some of the rules about the um, space. So um, we will have uh, two times, obviously, a double translation, French and English. Um, for, for the people who come up in order to ask questions, please have precise and brief questions uh, ready. Also be aware that because of translation, it's easier for me to translate um, a few sentences at a time rather than to have a, a big 15-20 minutes um, pull out because then things will be um, eventually lost, which is not the goal. And so be, uh, be slow and uh, be aware of the specificity and the confusion of your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Zopaminergique. So, maintenant, euh, pardon, c'est un peu compliqué. Nous allons demander à nos intervenants donc, de se présenter rapidement euh, et de spécifier, je leur demande bien de spécifier s'ils ont d'éventuels conflits d'intérêts qui peuvent influencer leur discours. So now, dear guest, could you please introduce yourself briefly, please, and let us know if you have any potential conflicts of interest that could influence your perspective. Thank you very much. Um, can I go first? Is this working? Yes, I just want to yes, check that yes, it's working please. first. So, um, thank you. Uh, I'll forego the French introduction this time. Um, My French was bad enough last introduction. My name is Dr. Kevin McCann. I'm a systems neuroscientist specializing in neurodegenerative and neuropsychiatric disorders that emerge from corticobasal ganglia disorders. Um, I think uh, the, the last question that was asked was very important. And I think we can look to the institutes and also the spike protein itself. We Um, we find ourselves in bizarre new territory in the last few weeks. And I'll just ask you to translate that before proceeding forward. Sure. So, uh, Dr. McCann just presented himself. Uh, je recommence. <laughs> C'était sûr que j'allais le faire. Alors, donc, il s'est présenté. C'est un, un, un chercheur en, un neuro, en maladie neurodégénérative et en, en système de neurologie. Et donc, les questions qu'il qu a, qu a ramenées sont des questions qu'on a évoquées dans l'introduction, sont des questions très importantes, à la fois les questions relatives à la protéine S et bien sûr aux institutions euh, qui pourraient financer et travailler sur ces, ces recherches. Euh, il m'a demandé donc de, de traduire euh, d'abord ça et il va, il va traduire, va présenter. Shall I continue or does, 
the other guests want to. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, there was a question raised about um, uh, ownership over this type of technology. And within the last few weeks, now I'm not saying that we can look at just these factors, but um, they need to be part of the discussion. And we have to thank uh, RFK Jr. for smashing this particular glass ceiling. And that is the computational data which points at uh, the potential for race specificity in the spike protein and what does that what does that mean in the modern context particularly as the analysis these these um, large database machine learning models continue to improve and the sampling from populations has particularly in the last three years because of SARS-CoV-2 testing, everyone's data has become available. And we know just from a few that have come forward that universities, etc., were selling used swabs to uh, data gathering companies, etc. So I'll stop there and then move on to the final part of my opening statement. Donc, il a, il a expliqué que la, la, depuis quelques semaines, une chose très importante se passe, en particulier donc, depuis les États-Unis. Et ce sont les révélations qu'ont qu faites euh, Robert Kennedy Jr., qui est un candidat euh, donc, à la présidence américaine, où il a ouvert le, le, le discours, enfin le discours entre guillemets, il a ouvert le sujet en fait euh, des bases de données computationnelles qui ont été sorties sur euh, l'implication de la protéine S et l'impact de la protéine S spécifique par rapport à certaines races ou certaines, certaines races en tout cas certains profils génétiques de populations spécifiques, et que donc ces, ces, ces questions que, qui ont été ouvertes par Robert Kennedy Jr. Euh, posent, euh, sont particulièrement importantes en vue du nombre de tests qui ont été, euh, été faits sur les populations de 3 ans de collection d'ADN, et on sait euh, en particulier que certaines universités donc, vendaient euh, des accès à des entreprises euh, privée qui, euh, elle, faisait des données d'analyse sur euh, l'ADN. Okay, so the, the important data that RFK brought up, there have been a number of, because of power cuts, my hard drives are off, so I don't have the papers to hand right now, I could bring them up later, but um, the basic tenor of what he was, what these manuscripts show is that there is a, um, a differential with respect to ACE2, um, advantageous polymorphisms. What does that mean? Is that some uh, haplogroups, uh, for the lay listener that just means ethnicities, races, whatever label you want to put on it, but we can tell the difference between um, uh, between groups uh, at a course level and what he showed was that there was um, the data points to um, southern European Caucasian having the least advantageous polymorphisms uh, followed by um, African and those that are most protected were Chinese, Finnish um, interestingly, and Ashkenazi Jews. 
Um, now, I would argue this. Um, an advantageous polymorphism at one of the primary sites for the uh, binding and the infection cycle of the virus is an interesting observation, perhaps computationally, but there are in fact two um, particular polymorphisms which are of interest here. And the other is with respect to transmembrane serine protease, um, which directs uh, its activity towards the furin cleavage site. And there's a um, race specificity advantageous polymorphism recognized in that particular instance as well. And our friends, um, the Ashkenazi, have the advantageous polymorphism. Now, one advantageous polymorphism is of uh, biological curiosity. Two, at very, very different sites across the spike protein is um, start should start to raise eyebrows. And I'll just finish with this. There are two countries right now which do not allow inspection, who have the capability to Manif or ma yeah, manifest and manufacture this type of technology. And there are two countries who do not allow inspection of their facilities, military biological warfare facilities. One is the United States. The other is Israel. Now, this isn't, I don't want this to be, oh, it's all, it's all Israel, it's all Jews. That's not what this discussion should be about. The discussion should be about the fact that, one, we have these problems with respect to checking and licensure, not licensure, but um, what what the weapon programs are up to in the name of um, biowarfare and medical countermeasures and what's uh, available to the public. And in the case of advantageous polymorphisms, who could leverage such a thing? And I will add this final caveat. I know this is complex. In a world where we can make these fingerprints, it's also possible to um, basically uh, fit someone up. You could make it look like them by putting signatures like this in. So people who are of um, Jewish um, ancestry, um, should be very cognizant of the fact that something like that could be happening and you should demand transparency from your political and military establishments as we should be demanding transparency from our military, biological warfare, medical countermeasures industries. That's it. Sorry it was so long and complex. Yeah, you may have, you may have to repeat some of the stuff so yeah. if I missed any. Donc, ce dont il a parlé, donc, c'est on revient à ce, à ce sujet que qu a levé Robert Kennedy Jr. Donc, sur le un polymorphisme avantageux. Euh, donc, il a, il, d'abord, il a, je reprends ce qu'il a dit d'abord au départ. Il a dit qu'il y a, il y a donc une, une spécificité sur les Européens du Sud, les Caucasiens européens du Sud. Ont un, ont le, le, le polymorphisme le moins avantageux, suivi de l'Afrique et suivi euh, des, des Chinois et des Juifs ashkénazes. Donc un polymorphisme avantageux, euh, ça, 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 ça soulève un certain nombre de questions. 
euh, en particulier, sachant qu'ici, il n'y en a pas un, mais deux, et que donc, on peut se demander si, euh, un, ce serait une curiosité, on va dire, scientifique, mais deux, ça commence à devenir euh, un petit peu plus spécifique et, et étrange, et donc euh, qui nécessite d'être euh, euh, étudié. Alors, les deux pays qui euh, n'autorisent pas euh, des recherches ou des, des inspections particulières sur leur laboratoire militaire et biologique sont euh, les États-Unis et Israël. Euh, donc, il spécifie bien qu'il n'est pas là en train de lancer une discussion sur euh, euh, quelque chose qui soit contre euh, Israël ou contre euh, le, le judaïsme pour la, la population juive. Au contraire, il pense que euh, c'est une question euh, très importante euh, qui doit être levé sur les programmes d'armes de, de, biologiques et les contre-mesures qui peuvent être développées à la suite de ces programmes et, et sur l'existence de ces polymorphismes. Donc, qui devraient être euh, ces empreintes que l'on peut découvrir. Il, il, euh, il spécifie qu'on peut aussi les créer et que donc, par définition, euh, le peuple juif lui-même devrait demander transparence à son gouvernement, mais pas que lui, bien sûr le peuple américain également, puisque ça pourrait être donc quelque chose qui, pu qui puisse être ingénéré pour faire comme si euh, c'était quelque chose que, euh, voilà, par exemple, l'État d'Israël avait créé. Donc c'était une, une question extrêmement compliquée. That was Alors, je précise, Annie, Annie ou, ou Tiffany, oui, tu peux oui, regarder. Si je, pré je précise qu'il s'agit donc d'un papier qui est sorti. On parle en fait de polymorphisme au niveau du récepteur ACE2 c'est-à-dire le récepteur sur lequel la spike du virus s'accroche. Euh, Kevin a bien parlé justement euh, euh, d'une moindre euh, spécificité pour la population juive askénaze, qui est en fait la population juive ancestrale. Euh, il faut savoir que euh, les armes biologiques, on peut les vectoriser, on peut les diriger spécifiquement vers certaines ethnies, d'où les questions qui sont posées. Voilà, mais il s'agit d'un polymorphisme au niveau du récepteur ACE2 qui, effectivement, pose question. Enfin... Je suis bien. Mon en fait, est-ce que vous êtes en train de parler justement d'un papier qui est sorti assez récemment sur les effets boomerang par rapport euh, aux mutations du, du, du SARS-CoV-2 et de l'adaptation du virus Donc cet effet boomerang qui a été expliqué dans un papier en fait de Christian Deveau et Hall en 2023. Mais ça, on en reviendra un petit peu plus tard, euh, si ça ne vous dérange pas. Oui. On va laisser Charles voilà. se présenter et puis on reviendra là-dessus après. Simplement, je demande juste à Dopa si elle peut traduire en anglais euh, rapidement et après, je laisserai la parole à Charles Rixet. Traduire quelle partie est-ce qu'elle euh, a traduit Est-ce qu'il parlait justement de l'adaptation du virus, notamment des variants du SARS-CoV-2, au, au polymorphisme par rapport au polymorphisme du récepteur ACE2 euh, et de la contamination en fait, intra- et interespèce en fait. euh, C'est ce qu'ils appellent l'effet boomerang dans un papier euh, de Christian Deveau et Al, 2023. 
there are other papers as well which have found the same thing. There's not only one. Um, there's multiple out there. One of the most recent ones. Um, look, you can look at the uh, more recent ones, and they find that Omicron, um, the the advantageous polymorphisms are reversed, and Ashkenazi in this case are more susceptible. But then you have to ask yourself, um, you know, which well, actually, this paper which came out in the last couple of days um, with respect to the ability of individual viral strains to impact the brain more seriously. And I, I, this was done in organoids, um, but uh, the OG original Wuhan strain was the most devastating with respect to um, impact on the brain. And... Um, Omicron less so. Um, so again, we live in we live in an age where we have to get comfortable asking these questions. And like I say, I've been talking about this for three years. I'm incredibly grateful for RFK to be bringing this subject forward because no one wants to touch it. Right? As soon as you start talking about, well, you saw how the the, the democratic side of the aisle reacted to RFK Jr. bringing that, bringing this paper up and other papers up in congressional hearing. It wasn't, oh, this is, this is an important scientific question. He was immediately accused of anti-Semitism and they tried again to censor his speech. And we have to make sure that we can thread the needle with respect to this, this type of technology. Donc, euh, il a confirmé effectivement qu'il il paraît ce papier-là. Il, il a aussi expliqué qu'il y a un papier qui est sorti il y a, il y a deux jours. Donc, peut-être que vous pouvez regarder, Ben euh, Wendy, vous pouvez peut-être regarder le, le titre exact, parce que ça a l'air d'un titre assez long. Et donc, il a, il a expliqué que les, les, microns, les, 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 microns, les variants au micron euh, ont même un polymorphisme renversé pour certains. Et donc, l'avantage initial euh, qu'avaient peut-être les, les pachkénasmes. Il est inversé là pour les derniers, les derniers variants. Ensuite, il a parlé de l'impact euh, du, du, euh, du, du premier variant, donc celui de Wuhan, sur le cerveau, en disant qu'il était particulièrement néfaste pour le cerveau. Et que donc ces questions sont, euh, sont des questions absolument essentielles. Il a rappelé qu'il était, euh, était très heureux qu'un qu candidat politique euh, du calibre de... Euh, et, et amener ces questions-là euh, devant le Congrès et qu'il a rappelé que la censure dont il a été euh, victime de la part des démocrates, hein, ce qui est quand même assez exceptionnel puisque Robert Kennedy le candidat, on va dire, le plus, euh, le plus aristocratique démocrate euh, qui puisse exister, eh bien, il a été euh, avec une tentative de censure qui a été vraiment brutale, en particulier sur des attaques euh, ad hominem et des, et des attaques... Euh, euh, en disant qu'il était antisémite, qui est, ce, qui est, ce qui est vraiment incroyable quand on sait l'histoire de Robert Kennedy avec euh, l'État d'Israël, le gouvernement d'Israël. Kevin, may you post the last paper you are talking about? Um, the Omicron. Ashkenaz, uh, for the, 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 invasion, the invasion, the switch of the benefits. Uh, um, may you post it in the... Um, of the space or send it by MP one list, please. Yes. Um, Thanks. It, it'll, it'll take me a few minutes. If someone else wants to talk whilst I look through my... Maybe Charles could introduce himself. Yeah.
Enfin, c'est donc à la présentation de Charles Rixé et euh, on, on va poursuivre les débats. Vraiment, c'est très intéressant et très passionnant. Dopaminergique, tu peux introduire l'introduction justement de. Uh, yes, so it would be great if Charles could introduce uh, himself now, and then we'll get back to uh, the subject. He's done an introduction for us. Okay, yes, can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Okay. So my name is Charles Rixey. I was a, a WMD professional in the United States Marine Corps. Um, I spent eight years as, as the chief WMD specialist at the Department of State, working with the Marines at Guard Embassies. And so I'm familiar with both the military and the diplomatic um, biological weapons in particular. And plastic and national researchers and scientists who are investigating the origin of the pandemic. I also worked with Major Murphy to release the diffuse proposal that EcoHealth Alliance sent to DARPA. And for today, what I want to focus on is understanding, looking at SARS-CoV-2 through the prism of gain-of-function research. Because, and so throughout this, I, I will go through each of the seven um, categories of gain-to-function experiments and show how those relate to the virus and the, the different epitopes within the virus. And so, and, I, and for dopaminergic, I, I emailed that list or I, I DM'd you that list just so you have that list available for That's translation yeah, as, as, as we go through. But But for now, that's, that's just my introduction. Donc, euh, c'est présenté, c'est un, un expert euh, auprès des, des Marines euh, américains des armes euh, de destruction massive. Il a travaillé pendant huit ans euh, avec, auprès du euh, département de, de, de militaire américain sur ces questions d'armes de destruction massive. Euh, il est, pendant la pandémie, il, est, il a aussi rejoint euh, le groupe Drastic, le groupe international de Chine. Quelqu'un peut couper euh, son oh. micro Kevin, ah, Kevin, Kevin. Oh, sorry. <rire> Otherwise, typing. Sorry about that. Um, donc, euh, il, a été, euh, il a rejoint le groupe Drastic, qui est un groupe de chercheurs et de scientifiques internationaux qui ont travaillé sur l'origine. Euh, du SARS-CoV-2 et qui ont publié, <coughs> ils ont publié toutes, toutes leurs recherches. Euh, il a aussi travaillé avec le major Murphy euh, sur, la, <coughs> sur la, la, la sortie de la, la publication du, de la thèse de recherche de l'État américain qui a donc été publiée. Et ce, voudrait, euh, ce dont il voudrait parler dans ce space, euh, c'est donc de, de, de comprendre euh, le virus du SARS-CoV-2 sous le prisme des gains de fonction. Et pour ce faire, il, il va parler de sept catégories de recherche euh, très spécifiques par rapport aux gains de fonction. 
il m'a envoyé cette liste, je n'ai pas eu le temps de la regarder, je vais la regarder maintenant, et je, on pourra en parler un petit peu plus en détail dès que j'aurai pu la, la regarder. Justement, est-ce que vous, pour nos auditeurs francophones, définir ce que c'est qu'un guide de votre point de vue, à quoi ça correspond exactement, pour qu'on puisse au moins avoir une définition, une définition déjà de base, en fait, claire, nette et précise, pour construire la discussion Uh, Charles, she's asking if you would be kind enough to translate what is your, uh, for the French audience, what is your definition of gain-of-function research um, so that we know, all of us know exactly what we're talking about. Okay, so uh, per the United States government's definition, it's gain-of-function is actually There's seven different things. In, in general, it's any, a gain of function is an, an experiment designed or that, that produces a, a, an increase in the ability of a virus to infect, an increase in the pathogenicity or the virulence of a virus as relates to human beings. And in particular, there are just seven categories. And I think it's very important that we, that we think about the virus and the vaccines through the lens of these seven categories. And so I will just listen very quickly. The first one is any experiment that enhances the harmful consequences of the agent or toxin. Two, it disrupts immunity or the effectiveness of an immunization against the agent or toxin without clinical or agricultural justification. Three, it confers to the agent or toxin resistance to clinical, to clinical or agricultural use prophylactics, therapeutics, etc. Interventions against that agent or toxin or facilitates their ability to evade detection methodologies. That's an important one. Four, increases the stability, transmissibility, or the ability to disseminate the agent or toxin. Five, it alters the host range or tropism of the agent or toxin. Six, it enhances the susceptibility of a host population to the agent or toxin, or, and the last one, which is number seven, it generates or reconstitutes an eradicated or extinct agent or toxin listed in section three above. And I will just state that number seven is fulfilled by the, by the retention of the wild type spike in the bivalent vaccines. So just that one alone is covered by that. So th those are the official categories of what gain of function means. Je vais essayer de traduire ça. Je vais lire en fait et je vais traduire au fur et à mesure parce que la catégorie, enfin les catégories sont très spécifiques. Donc en fait, il a dit que aux États-Unis, en tout cas, euh, les gains de fonction 
c'est toute expérience qui, qui, fait, qui, enfin, qui produit ou qui produit soit par intention, soit par résultat, un accroissement euh, par rapport, pour un virus d'infection, de, de pathogénéicité et de virulence. Euh, et donc, après, il parle des quatre catégories. Donc là, je vais les lire dans les messages qu'il m'a donné. Donc, euh, les, les sept euh, catégories dont il a parlé. Alors, la première catégorie... C'est une catégorie qui augmente euh, les conséquences euh, dommageables de l'agent ou de la toxine utilisée. La catégorie numéro 2, euh, j'ai mis, mis en copie, Annelie, si, si tu veux le mettre sur le space aussi. La catégorie numéro 2, c'est que ça, ça perturbe l'immunité ou l'efficacité d'une immunisation euh, qu'on pourrait avoir contre un agent ou une toxine sans euh, justification clinique ou agriculture ou de, de agriculturel. Alors, je ne sais pas pourquoi c'est le, le terme agriculturel. La troisième, c'est que ça procure à un agent ou une toxine une résistance à, à j'imagine, à, un, à, enfin, à une prophylaxie ou à un traitement clinique ou agricole, euh, ainsi que euh, des interventions contre cet agent ou cette toxine qui, faci qui faciliterait euh, son évasion ou, la, ou sa détection euh, ou des méthodologies de détection. Euh, la quatrième catégorie, c'est que ça accroît la stabilité, la transmission ou la transmissibilité, je ne sais pas si c'est vraiment vrai, et la capacité à se disséminer de, de l'agent en question ou des taux. La cinquième catégorie, c'est que ça altère euh, le tropisme de l'hôte euh, ou les, le, la... Comment on dit range En français, c'est la, la variation du tropisme euh, de l'hôte. Euh, par rapport à l'agent ou la toxine en question. La catégorie 6, c'est que ça augmente la susceptibilité de, de la population de l'hôte à l'agent ou la toxine en question. Et enfin, la dernière catégorie, c'est qu'elle euh, génère ou qu'elle reconstitue euh, un agent est déjà est exterminé ou éteint, éradiqué, euh, ou une toxine qui est listée dans la section 3.1, 3.1 above. Et donc ça, c'est une section qui... Euh, qui, est, euh, qui doit lister un certain nombre d'agents qui sont déjà, euh, déjà éliminés. Voilà. Uh, Charles, could you, could you um, recall for me the last point that you made in relation to category 6 or 7 that was very specific? Uh, yes. So, um, so category 7 was an, a, an experiment or, or something That, that takes a virus that was eradicated or extinct. So you could say smallpox, or in this case, the wild type spike that, that by now it has been extinct and, and reconstituting, regenerating that. Because if you look at smallpox, supposed to experiment on smallpox because it's been eradicated and if it gets out the, po the population is no longer immune to it um, but for SARS-CoV-2 by of the dangerous epitopes that they have on the spike protein it violates number seven because you're taking an extinct virus And you're 
using it without an immunological justification for doing so. So, and what that does, it, con it continues to inoculate the population with these dangerous epitopes. Okay, so, uh, donc ce qu'il a expliqué, c'est que pour la catégorie 7, donc vous pouvez regarder si elle est posée sur le space, euh, elle, elle parle en particulier d'une du, réactivation euh, d'un virus euh, éteint ou disparu. Alors, il, il donne euh, l'exemple de la polio, mais aussi du, de la spike ici, euh, une spike sauvage donc, qui, avait déjà été, euh, qui était déjà euh, exterminée et, qui, la, et qui, la, qui permet de la reconstituer. Donc, euh, par exemple, dans le cas de la polio, c'est quelque chose qui est interdit parce que la population n'est plus, plus... La question qu'il pose, c'est qu'avec... Euh, le SARS-CoV-2 et les épitopes dans très dangereux euh, relatifs à la protéine S, est-ce que le fait d'avoir donc euh, réactivé ce, euh, cette, euh, cette protéine S euh, ou ce, cette toxine est, est, qui, est, qui a disparu, est-ce que ça ne, ça ne viole pas cette catégorie-là particulièrement puisque, Et donc ça, c'est la première chose. Et la deuxième chose, parce que, euh, entre, guillemets, grâce, entre guillemets, grâce à ça, ça permet en fait de d'injecter, enfin pas d'injecter, mais d'exposer de, la population de manière répétitive euh, et que donc ça, ça viole euh, très clairement euh, le, le, les, comment dire, la catégorie euh, 7 sur euh, ces gains de fonction très spécifiques. Alors, je voudrais poser, enfin, euh, rappeler une chose et euh, je vais m'exprimer en anglais. Charles, um, stop me if I am wrong, but people are being told that gain-of-function research has to aim for goal to anticipate what could be worst in infectious disease, uh, especially by viruses, and um, they are trying to, to anticipate um, what could be uh, more pathogenic, more infectious, more deadly. That's just what is Uh, told to people. I am wrong. I, virologists have it to justify for decades that gain of function research is theory because of the potential for dangerous viruses to emerge future. The act of them doing these experiments basically has the potential to create viruses that, that, that they're saying ability a dangerous virus created. So that is their justification, but say that it's called biodefense research. Uh, the truth is, is that there anything, any research that is done to protect yourself against a virus that comes from nature or from an, an an adversary on a biological weapons program is ultimately has to create that 
virus to, to learn how to protect against it. So I don't believe that there is any difference between defensive biological weapons research and offensive biological weapons research. Thank you so much for your answer. Donc, ce qu'il a dit, c'est que ces, ces virologues qui travaillent sur ces gains de fonction, ça fait, en fait, c'est la, ce qu'ils ce qu utilisent comme justification, c'est une justification qui est utilisée depuis des décades par rapport au, à, à la, au concept même du, de la, des gains de fonction. Et qu'en fait, c'est pour à la fois pour prévenir l'émergence naturelle de pathogènes, mais aussi pour euh, produire des, des euh, contre-mesures ou des antidotes, entre guillemets. Mais on voit bien, enfin, selon ce qu'il a expliqué là, qu'en fait, le fait même de, de se lancer dans ce genre de recherche implique le fait qu'on va créer, euh, on a besoin quelquefois de créer ce genre de virus, et que donc ça devient en fait un, un d'oxymore, parce que en essayant de, de prévenir l'émergence naturelle qui, qui aura une probabilité statistique probablement telle qu'elle est, qui n'est pas sûrement énorme, en fait, la probabilité statistique, statistique qu'on la crée en, en laboratoire est largement supérieure. Et en fait, donc, il, il argumente le terme de biodéfense la recherche biodéfense avec une euh, et, et qui en fait est plus une sorte de bio-offense qu'une biodéfense. Et, euh, et donc à ce sujet-là, j'aimerais poser une question. Je ne sais pas si je peux la poser. Euh, oui, enfin j'allais faire juste un tout petit point en fait avec pour nos pour, pour nos euh, auditeurs français. En fait, euh, et pour résumer un petit peu ce qui vient de se dire aussi rapidement, puis après tu pourras poser ta question, Dopa, si ça te dérange pas. Okay. Alors, en fait, euh, Charles Xé disait que pour un GOF, enfin, euh, dit que pour un GOF, euh, globalement, c'est quoi C'est augmenter la toxicité, euh, bloquer l'immunité, ou euh, on va dire, euh, perdre, euh, euh, impacter en fait significativement. Augmentation de la résistance au traitement prophylactique ou à la détection. Augmenter la dissémination, c'est-à-dire la contamination potentielle du virus, la susceptibilité de la population cible à un agent pathogène, et ça c'est exactement ce qui se passe, et euh, permettre la résurgence ou la recombinaison euh, avec d'autres euh, pathogènes. On en reparlera là-dessus aussi parce qu'il y a des choses très intéressantes sur euh, les mutations entre le variant alpha et Omicron et comment ça se passe, etc. Donc, euh, en gros, quand on regarde ce que Charles X dit, en fait, ça, euh, ça recoupe point par point en fait, les caractéristiques que l'on peut mettre en évidence euh, d'un point de vue scientifique sur euh, le fait que la spike est ce qu'on appelle un GOF. Voilà. Euh, Vas-y, dopaminergique. Donc ça, c'était pour euh, le français. Est-ce que je te laisse le pendant anglais D'accord. Donc, uh, uh, so, so, so I have, I have a question. Uh for both Charles and Kevin, that is actually a sort of synthetic question uh, of both topics that they've approached. Number one, that the impact of this um, S-protein specifically on the brain and the long-term impact that this may have in the population. And then, um, in, in, in regard to what Charles just said, if we assume as a hypothesis that this is in fact a bio-weapon that's already been uh, launched, either by accident or by fact. And then a series of response of other countries have ensued this over the past three and a half years. So my question is, um, given where we are right now in the sense that people have 
got COVID, people have had have received vaccines, various vaccines of various dosage and and so on. And uh, the gain of function is continuing both at, in the U.S. for Dietrich and so on, and in in the Wuhan and many other labs, uh, not just in China but in many places in in Asia as well. Um, what is what in their view is the the way that this entire mechanism in which we are can be stopped politically, and then the second one is can it be can it be fixed at the population level uh, in terms of treatment? So, is there are they aware of things that are in existence right now that people are actively researching to help the population face a potential sequela of a bioweapon? Donc, la question que je pose, c'est une question synthèse entre les, les, les deux sujets qu'ils ont abordés l'un et l'autre. Un, le sujet de si on assume, si on prend l'hypothèse que l'histoire dans laquelle on est, l'histoire du SARS-CoV-2, c'est une histoire qui est résultant d'une un, attaque biologique ou, ou accidentelle ou volontaire. Mais peu importe que de toute façon, c'était quand même une sorte de, de, de virus qui maintenant va avoir un impact euh, spécifiques sur les, sur les ethnies qu'elles ont atteintes, etc. Et qu'en plus de ça, on voit maintenant que euh, le, 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 le virus lui-même et les vaccins ont potentiellement des, impact, des impacts à long terme, en particulier des impacts sur le cerveau et des impacts sur des, des maladies très sévères et, et très, on va dire, euh, difficiles à traiter. Quel est pour eux le, le moyen d'arrêter politiquement euh, ce genre de recherche ou, ce, ou la situation dans laquelle on est, c'est-à-dire d'arrêter net les labos qui sont en continuent à faire cette recherche. Et la deuxième chose, est-ce qu'il y a des traitements qu'on peut imaginer déjà donnés à la population au vu de ce qui va se passer dans, 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 les, dans les mois et les années qui vont venir um, Charles, do you want to go first I don't mind having a crack at the how to shut it down question. Uh, no, you, you go first. So um, I think we have a very serious problem in the, unlike the 1950s and 60s, where we could point to uh, a particular government agency and say those are the individuals and labs involved in this type of work. What we have done and what the sake of a, a better descriptor, the permanent government, bureaucracies have understood is that there is a massive brain trust within academia and they have seeded all this work into academic environments and this has become a very very lucrative line of research for institutions and some of the individuals who manage to get themselves into the inner circle with respect to the, the funding itself. That's one problem. The second is that because of, and everyone's become aware of this over the last three years, because of the, the there are restrictions obviously in place. And so the weapon, weaponeers, for want of a better expression, have realized that they can use, uh, and Charles alluded to this earlier, is that they'll make the excuse that, oh, what we're really doing is trying to get a, a step ahead of what potentially nature could throw at us with respect to zoonotic transfer, etc., or, or 
say, a peer adversary or non-state actor. Um, and so they've made essentially these cut-out organizations. Um, they operate as uh, quasi-charitable organizations or um, uh, private businesses as well. And of course, you know, EcoHealth Alliance sits right up there at the very top. Metabiota. Um, there's the one in Ukraine. Um, name slips me right now. Uh, Labyrinth, I think they're called. Um, these are the ones that we know about. And the first, the first thing to do, in my opinion, is to aggressively dismantle what we know about and what we can see and take a very different uh, view of the type of research that has been taking place and the, how they were doing it and, and under the guise with which they were doing it, which is that um, there, there are these dangerous uh, pathogens waiting to leap out of forests, caves, etc., and um, do, do harm. Um, I would dismantle those. We know who has been involved in this current round or right word, this current um, disaster um, over the last three years. I, I would be making examples of these people and I, I would make sure that um, it goes right to the very top of not only the academic institutions, but also the transnational institutions, which we seem to be ceding ever more power to. And I would make it so painful that they would never, ever think about doing this type of, or pull this type of event again. Um, with respect to the private sphere, that's... May, may I, may I transition? Sure, sure. Euh, donc, euh, ce, qui, ce, qui, ce dont il parle là, c'est d'un problème sérieux qui a deux, deux parties. La première partie, c'est qu'il explique que dans les années 50 et 60, on pouvait, euh, quand on avait euh, trouvé un problème de, cette, de ce calibre, on pouvait se retourner vers des agences euh, gouvernementales, trouver les responsables et en fait les... Or là, on est, on est vraiment dans une situation qui est de l'ordre d'une sorte de capture euh, structurelle et... Un, implicite, à la fois de tout ce qui est du domaine académique, qui maintenant, en fait, euh, ces institutions-là, même quand elles se sont recherches euh, d'ordre militaire, ont délégué à un certain nombre d'instituts académiques et scientifiques le travail d'assembler de, de, ces, ces genres de virus, etc. Donc, en fait, on, on, on se rend compte que les institutions académiques, les universités et les individus, donc les chercheurs à l'intérieur de ces institutions-là, bénéficient de manière directe et indirecte à la fois des financements, du prestige, des publications, etc., qui sont reliés à ça. Donc ça, c'est le premier problème. Le deuxième problème, c'est qu'on voit bien que l'usage, on va dire, sémantique de, et, 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 la, et le prisme qu'ils ont utilisé pour expliquer la raison pour laquelle ce genre de recherche doit être fait, on voit bien que c'est un sort de... De machine à gaz euh, qui permet de se cacher sous le, le, le fait de dire bon, bah, comme ça on va, on va éviter qu'il y ait des zones qui sortent et on, on aura à ce moment-là des, des antidotes et des, des contre-mesures pour, pour le faire. Alors qu'en réalité, euh, on voit très bien que ça, 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 ça ne s'est pas, pas produit. Et donc en, ensuite, il parle d'une espèce de collusion aussi hein, entre des institutions académiques, euh, transnationales et des institutions privées comme 
EcoHealth Alliance et MetaBiota, qui est donc le laboratoire sur lequel le, le fils de, de Joe Biden était membre du, membre du board. Et que donc, euh, lui, il propose deux choses essentielles. Un, de changer la manière dont on, on regarde et on comprend euh, les gains de fonction, et donc de ne pas, de pas tomber sous la, la difficulté qui a été utilisée pour des raisons politiques, stratégiques et militaires. Et la deuxième chose, c'est qu'il propose de qu'il faudrait démanteler ces institutions dans leur ensemble et juger les, 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 les personnages qui ont été les, les acteurs les plus importants de telle sorte que le, les implications soient tellement sévères que plus personne ne, ne s'engage à faire cette chose-là euh, de manière aussi euh, dire, euh, linéaire que ça s'est passé depuis, euh, depuis au moins 20 ans. Bien, yeah. so um... you can continue. Yeah, I mean, the second part gets into about um, the, what to do about the the medical consequences of what what this has, or what we're dealing with right now, and th so that's a long subject. So I don't know if Charles wants to sort of chip in with respect to um, naming and shaming these organizations and what to do. I mean, um, a Marine's idea of uh, what to do in this respect. we have solution case just last week i believe there was a, a a breaking news story by sherry markson who i've spoken to personally uh, back when we released the drastic uh, or the diffuse proposal but there's a story where Robert Cadleck, the former um, number two person at the Department of Health and Human Services in the US, was basically claiming that SARS-CoV-2 was the result of viral vaccine research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the problem with that is that A, Robert Cadillac is the person who, f who is in charge of funding all of the vaccine and therapeutic um, responses to the virus. He, he was the one who allocated money for Operation Warp Speed, et cetera. And two, the real problem is that SARS-CoV-2 did not come from a vaccine. And how do we know this? Well, I spent a lot of time going back, and I've compiled a list of 49 studies where they made vaccine prototypes. And in all those vaccines, and they were for HIV, MERS, RSV, influenza, in all of those cases, they would remove certain epitopes, including the fear and cleavage site and um, the so-called HIV inserts that, that Pradhan et al. Um, published their famous paper that, that they were forced to withdraw that showed that there were HIV inserts within 
the spike protein. And so what I'm saying is they are going said this a year ago that they're going their last um, gambit will be to say to try to say that this was a vaccine that went wrong. But we know that that isn't true because in all of those previous studies going back two decades, all of those vaccine prototypes, they always removed these specific epitopes. And in this case, they kept them. So the argument that they, that they that this was a vaccine gone wrong is is proven wrong. It's proven false because not only did they see this virus and then hide the existence of the furin cleavage site, they then kept the furin cleavage site and these other dangerous epitopes that had always been removed until these two mRNA vaccines in January of 2020. That is not a coincidence. And so we can, more than anything, we need to understand that this, is, this was not a failed vaccine. This was a virus designed to keep these epitopes. Could I? Okay. Could I? Uh, oh, you have yeah, to do yeah, the translation, yeah, don't you? Yeah. yeah, I just, yeah. please do. Yeah. Donc, alors, ce qu'il a expliqué, c'est que, en fait, il faut reconnaître le problème et la situation dans laquelle on est avant d'essayer de trouver une solution. Donc, lui, il a parlé d'une journaliste australienne qui s'appelle Terry Markson, qui avait sorti beaucoup de choses, y compris un livre sur l'histoire de Wuhan. Et donc, il lui a parlé personnellement quand il y a eu l'histoire qui est sortie il y a quelques semaines de Robert Cadla, qui est le numéro 2 au Department of Human Health and Resources aux États-Unis, qui a expliqué en fait que le SARS-CoV-2 était en, en, en fait le résultat d'une recherche sur les vaccins qui, qui, avait mal, qui avait mal tourné. Alors le problème avec cet argument, c'est qu'en fait, lui, ce, ce personnage-là, Robert Cadla, c'est lui qui finançait une partie de ces recherches-là, euh, et, et qu'en fait, euh, c'est très clair que le, le SARS ne pas de vaccin. Donc il cite également 49 études sur des prototypes euh, de vaccins, sur des recherches de vaccins qui ont été faites avant, en particulier sur le, le SIDA, le MERS, le ARS, RSV, alors euh, je sais pas comment on dit le RSV en français. Euh, bon que le Voilà, Respiratory Sensitive Virus euh, et Influenza. Et donc euh, dans, dans, ces, dans ces 49... Euh, 49 études là, en fait, les, les épitopes avaient été retirés et, le, et surtout sur les, les sites, le, le site de cleavage, euh, Furin Cleavage Site. Et que donc, euh, le, le, le dernier effort de, on va dire, de manipulation cognitive, peut-être, ou scientifique, de, 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 pour cacher l'origine de ça, probablement, euh, va être, selon lui, autour de, de, de dire euh, voilà, c'est en fait, le résultat d'une un, recherche sur les vaccins. Euh, qui, qui, aurait, euh, qui aurait mal tourné. Et en fait, lui, il pense que c'est faux. Et la, le, le, la meilleure preuve pour euh, débanquer, on va dire, l'argument que Cardax, c'est en fait que ces épitopes d'habitude sont, sont enlevés, alors qu'ici, ils ont été gardés. Et que donc, euh, il, il s'agit là d'un... 
de quelque chose qui a été fait en gros exprès juste pour produire justement un virus euh, qui, qui est là euh, avant, avant la, la sortie de vaccin euh, qui est passé en janvier 2020. Donc en fait, lui, il pense qu'il n'y a pas de coïncidence et qu'en fait, ce, cette histoire-là ne revient pas, euh, ne peut pas être expliquée dans sa totalité par une, une, une recherche, euh, on va dire, entre guillemets, éthique qui, qui aurait trait à des, à, à des développements de vaccins. Voilà. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add, um, as Charles basically said, they're going to play final gambit, right, as the, there has been significant push from the public, from scientists who aren't constrained by the, the straitjacket of NIH, NIAID. Um, but one of those, and th this is, I, I would... Uh, implore people to look out for sudden stories like we're getting right now, which is, oh, they just happened to find a clandestine biolab in California. Um, that, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a true story, but something about that just doesn't smell right to me. It's a little bit like finding the passport uh, on top of the rubble of 9-11. And they will go to extraordinary lengths make sure that their culpability isn't pointed towards the individuals and the institutes which we know were involved in this research and have been involved in this research for decades. That's what I wanted to add to Charles' statement there. Donc ce qu'il voulait rajouter c'est qu'en fait euh, ils vont essayer effectivement un, un, comment dire un, un dernier gambit comme, comme échec et qu'en fait euh, les institutions qui sont cache derrière ça et les individus qui gèrent ces institutions NIA, au NIH et au NIID euh, depuis des décades euh, sont en fait euh, des gens qui doivent être protégés ou qui vont se protéger les uns les autres et protéger les institutions qui génèrent ce genre, ce genre de recherche. So, um, I don't know if you're... Apart from massive uh, deconstruction of these institutes, um, I don't know what else we can, I can add that first topic. So I don't know if you want to step into the, the medical side of it and the, what, what we can do, or what, what's happening with, uh, within the literature. Okay, and then this might come off a bit sort of left field. But, um, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful about is What are the uh, countermeasures which they're pushing at the public? And, you know, we know that we had a um, full-court press with respect to um, the synthetic gene transfection technologies. They are gene engineering tools. Do not let anyone gaslight you uh, any different. And what are, the, what are the effects of exposure to these these countermeasures. Um, now, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, th I think, something I've relayed very often on my streams, but I think we got a very, very good insight into how the bureaucracies were thinking with respect to this type of technology. And I, I encourage everyone to look for a podcast. It's called 80,000 Hours. And it's an episode that has Andrew C. Weber, 
He was part of the State Department. He was part of um, dismantling weapons of mass destruction after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, I believe he still carries significant influence within government circles. And he is, I encourage everyone, go listen to how he's speaking about the gene transfection technologies which they forced onto people, right? And um, we've seen in Australia that they've been saying the, the grilling that the Pfizer executives have been getting with respect to no one was forced. If your job is um, at risk because you are suspicious of untested medical interventions um, and you'll lose your job if you don't take it, that means you're being forced. Okay. Go back. Listen to Andrew C. Weber. He is. He comes across as ecstatic about the mRNA platform technologies, which is that they can find a pathogen or their adversary, non-state actor, can release a pathogen, and within hours they can start producing the the countermeasure with respect to technology that we've had thrown at us. This is, this is an, an important thing to um, keep in mind as, we, as I want to explore a little bit about the um, adverse events with respect to gene transfection and people getting exposed when, in, in a lot of instances, they didn't need to be. Um, it was... We could see from the, within the first six months, there was risk stratification, right? With respect to those who were at risk of death. Now, long-term effects, chronic effects is a different uh, picture, but you know, we could have, I think we could have been more selective in how we utilize that technology if we were gonna utilize it. And I know this is getting complex, I'll let you translate, then I'll. Donc, euh, ce dont il parle là, c'est en fait euh, de, deux, problèmes enfin, deux problèmes différents qui, qui se relient. Le premier problème, c'est le fait qu'il faut faire attention à ce qu'il appelle les contre-mesures qui sont proposées à la population. Parce qu'en fait, si on considère les vaccins ARN comme des contre-mesures, entre guillemets, qui est un terme qui est très utilisé aux États-Unis, mais qui est très utilisé aussi dans le, le domaine militaire, d'ailleurs, puisque c'est comme ça qu'ils appellent les, les antidotes. Euh, quels, sont donc le, le, les, quels pourraient être les impacts euh, des contre-mesures sur la population qui en gros a été, une grosse partie de la population mondiale a été forcée en quelque sorte de prendre ces, de prendre ces, ces injections. Donc il, il, il demande aux, aux auditeurs de s'intéresser à un podcast qui s'appelle euh, 80 000 heures, alors c'est en anglais donc il faudra chercher la 80,000 hours et c'est un podcast qui a été fait où l'invité c'était André C. Weber était donc responsable d'un certain nombre de, de technologies de transfection génétique. Donc, euh, il parlait des, des plateformes RN, entre guillemets. Et Kevin explique que dans ce podcast, euh, il, il est complet. Ça nous donne une, une, une sorte de fenêtre d'ouverture sur la, la façon dont ils ont conçu, dont tous ces bureaucrates et ces scientifiques ont, ont conçu, en fait, de ces plateformes-là. C'est-à-dire que c'est une plateforme où ils étaient très contents de la de cette découverte et de la capacité ou des capacités, on va dire, technologiques de cette plateforme ARN, qui pouvait en quelques... Et là, il cite donc ce, ce Andrew Weber, qui dit qu'en quelques heures, on pouvait euh, 
effectivement développer euh, des contre-mesures extrêmement efficaces et utiliser la plateforme RSI comme vecteur idéal entre pour euh, distribuer ces contre-mesures. Donc en fait, lui, euh, il, il explique qu'avant de parler des effets euh, très significatifs donc sur la population qui a été obligatoirement, qui s'est fait exploser à, à ce genre de choses, alors qu'en fait, on n'en avait pas réellement besoin, puisqu'en fait, avec une bonne stratification des risques, euh, de, dans les premiers six mois de la pandémie, on aurait pu euh, mitiger, mit, oui, mitiger les, les, les risques en question pour les populations, ou la population la plus à risque. Et qu'en fait, euh, dans un certain sens, on a volontairement exposé une, une partie énorme de la population à des risques additionnels qui sont plus ou moins euh, euh, connus et compris, et compris à l'heure actuelle. Et donc, il voulait parler après de, de ces risques-là en particulier. Um. Make a comment before I continue. It'll get, it'll get more complex, I'm afraid. Um, so, uh, adverse events obviously are at the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment, as we seem to keep seeing many, many. Um, well, let's let's just look at all-cause mortality. We're seeing sustained all-cause mortality across many, many countries um, that would indicate that, and these are not SARS-related deaths, these are, are um, in the domain of neurological and cardiovascular and circulatory adverse events. And we have, or, or I would encourage everyone, you need, to, we, we, you need to look for a particular paper manuscript where they or we got a snapshot of the potential of what these um, interventions do. And I spoke last week, or last, yeah, it was for the weekend anyway, um, about the concern about the amyloidogenic profile of SARS-CoV-2. Um, it does have a very heavy one, and because of the urine cleavage site, it impacts many more tissues than say the um, original SARS or anything, other neurotropic viruses like well, influenza is one people are familiar with, but there are a bunch of others, HIV. But um, one, of the th one of the, or what should be in people's minds is, what are, what are they doing when they transfect and have the body make this peptide of concern which appears to have all the fingerprints of engineering on it and has a very from a computational standpoint very high amyloid amyloid inducing signature and i think just by um sheer luck um what we saw paper is called Subcutaneous Uptake of 18-Floor Bedaban. Uh, it's a positron electron transmission CT study, a case report of possible amyloid beta immune reactivity. And this manuscript, using PET imaging, and this is relatively novel technology. It's only, it's only within the last sort of five, ten years that I think, ten years of stretching it, that it's become uh, useful at a clinic, a clinical level, to have these 
ligands. And what they show is that in someone who was getting a PET scan for something completely unrelated, he was suspected of having um, Alzheimer's, um, they, were, they were doing the scan to check for that. So they did a head scan, and they also, um, because of the systemic effects of amyloidosis, they wanted to check uh, the cardiac loading of amyloid. And they can see where he'd received an injection, a, a vaccination, one or two days previously, and it has lit up the injection site and the draining lymph node. And if you were to ask me um, prior to the pandemic, right, and I specifically was working on neurodegenerative models in primates, we don't have very good models, right? Primarily for Parkinson's, we use a chemical lesion targeting dopaminergic neurons. And there are some genetic models where you go and overexpress alpha-synuclein specifically within the substantia nigra, fast compactor. If you told me that there was a technology that you could give systemically that would load amyloid the way that we're that appears to be seen on this paper, that is exactly the type of approach that I would take to try to model these neurodegenerative disorders in primates. And now we're at a situation where they're, where they're continuing to test, not test, to um, vaccinate people. Um, there are four, five, uh, doses now, I think, maybe even more. And no one, no one is asking these questions. And I would make the point that if you're going to use a biowarfare agent, and I would um, give credit to Dr. Joanna Dinart for this insight, which was a presentation, she's a virologist in Germany, where she was at a presentation given by Ditra. And what they said is, is that you have to, in order for a viral pathogen to have any type of impact, you want a binary combination. You need the virus itself. And then you need something to physically, literally inject into the population so that you can start to degrade critical infrastructure. And I think this is precisely what we've seen with the release of SARS-CoV-2 and the mass use of gene transfection to make amyloidogenic peptides. Like I say, the, please go back, find th this paper. I'll, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll put it. And um, until we can dismiss this as a working hypothesis, we have to, this has to be the primary um, talking point around which we're having the scientific discussions. Lab origins is all well and good, etc. And I think that debate is done. You're going to have a bunch of people who disagree. But we have to drag the conversation into the biowarfare space. And we have to try to understand how, how the agent or agents work in this instance. And gene transfection of amyloidogenic peptides I would argue, is one of the primary mechanisms that they would aim for, and the end result being 
long-term incapacitation through leveraging amyloidogenic pathways. I hope that wasn't too, too complex, but that's, that's what I wanted to say. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. I'll try my best. Okay. Uh, donc, il a parlé des, des effets indésirables, uh, donc, puisque ça, c'est le sujet vraiment qui, qui occupe beaucoup de gens à l'heure actuelle. Et que donc, on voit à l'heure actuelle une mortalité accrue et élevée euh, qui n'est pas due au SARS. Et on voit aussi des effets secondaires très spécifiques, neurologiques, cardiovasculaires et circulatoires en particulier. Pas que cela, mais on voit ça de manière très prépondérante. Donc, en fait, il a, il a mentionné un papier qui, euh, qui a étudié donc, euh, les, les effets secondaires ou les effets indésirables à, et aussi euh, les, les effets des injections en prenant un profil amyloïde euh, du SARS-CoV-2 et, et, et en faisant euh, des, ce qu'on appelle un PIT. Donc, alors, un PIT en français, c'est quoi C'est un PET scan, c'est-à-dire euh, positron emission. Euh, ouais. on, on, dit, on dit PET scan aussi. Ah, bah, PET scan, d'accord. Donc, euh, c'est clair pour tout le monde. Et donc, ce que cette recherche a fait, c'est qu'ils euh, ont euh, regardé deux, deux jours après euh, l'injection euh, euh, des gens qui étaient venus pour faire des scanners euh, qui étaient non reliés, non reliés au SARS, et que les, les, les scanners, donc euh, les PET scans, ont révélé... Donc il y avait une, un scanner de la tête, et ils ont aussi testé des profils cardiaques, et en fait, ils se sont rendus compte qu'après le vaccin, deux jours après le vaccin, qu'il y avait euh, une inflammation du système lymphatique qui était activée, et que donc, euh, lui, ce qui le préoccupe énormément, c'est de travailler sur le modèle euh, neurodégénératif, il faisait avant, le, avant la, la crise du, du SARS, il travaillait sur les, les modèles neurodégénératifs des primates. Et donc, si lui, il avait dû développer une, une technologie capable euh, d'introduire un, un modèle dégénératif sur, sur des primates, bien sûr, sur, sur les humains, euh, la, la, la méthodologie, on va dire, ou le vecteur euh, euh, mRNA était était vraiment idéal et les, et les injections donc, euh, per permettent euh, indirectement de faire ça. Donc en fait, lui, son, son hypothèse, c'est que si on, si on parle de l'hypothèse d'une guerre biologique et d'une arme biologique, euh, il faut euh, pouvoir parler euh, de l'impact de ces injections euh, sur le long terme et en particulier euh, l'hypothèse, euh, une fois qu'on a admis l'hypothèse de, labo de laboratoire, il faut travailler sur euh, le fait que en fait, c'est est un agent donc, de guerre biologique et que l'impact que ce, ça aurait sur les populations, c'est une incapacité à long terme, en particulier avec euh, une, on va dire une, une induction de dégénérescence euh, cognitive et cérébrale, j'imagine à, à des degrés variés selon le nombre d'injections dans, dans les gens ont été gens qu'on reçu et j'imagine aussi la, la densité de, de ces injections-là puisqu'on on a vu aussi qu'il y avait pas mal de différences entre euh, certaines fioles et d'autres et entre Moderna et Pfizer. Uh, just Kevin, I just added to what you said, uh, which you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also probably a concept of um, uh, differences in the vial themselves, not just between uh, Pfizer and Moderna, but the um, the actual saturation of mRNA between mm. the Pfizer and the Moderna had been shown at least to be different uh, in some of the vials. Yes, and there's another um, layer that we have to be looking at as well. Um, amyloidosis, pre-energic, 
cascades happen in the flame of inflammation. And one thing that we know is that those lipid nanoparticles are highly inflammatory. Again, this, this is what I would propose as an experiment on monkeys. And if I was to, if I was to propose, this technology had been around five, ten years ago, right? I would have had to, it would have been considered a um, gene-based gene intervention. I would have had to handle those animals differently. They would have had to be housed differently because of the unknown interactions with respect to the genome of the animals. And the animals would have had to have been disposed of after the experiment was done differently such that they, there was as, we had as much control over any unforeseen consequences with respect to, especially, um, again, what's technically called propagons, the misfolded peptides that are able to act like infectious particles. And they've gone and, like I say, it just blows my mind that they've done this, but they've just gone and done it on a global scale. And I do think we see the fingerprint of this um, this response in, in the public at large, not only from the virus, but also from exposure to these um, transfection technologies. Qu'il a ajouté qu'en fait, le, pour avoir cette, cette, euh, ces impacts de, sur le cerveau, il faut qu'il y ait aussi euh, une, un état d'inflammation très significative et que les particules nanolipidaires sont excessivement inflammatoires. Là, c'est une autre composante du vaccin, des infections. Et que donc, si lui, par exemple, il avait utilisé ce genre de technologie pour faire ses recherches sur les primates, euh, cette intervention a été classifiée comme intervention génétique, que donc les animaux auraient dû... Euh, faire l'objet d'une surveillance très spécifique, une pharmacovigilance très spécifique, et que donc la question que ça pose, c'est qu'il faut, il faut, faut vraiment au moins accepter ce, ce, cette hypothèse et ce prisme-là euh, dans les discussions dans lesquelles on va. Alors juste pour nos amis francophones, euh, que les, et puis pour ceux qui ne savent pas ce que c'est que des dépôts amyloïdes, alors en fait, la spike est clivée par des enzymes, donc euh, par, des, euh, des, par des protéases. Ce sont des petites molécules qui vont venir couper la spike. Et certains euh, fragments de la spike vont former des fibres insolubles qui vont s'agglomérer entre elles. Et ce réseau de fibres insolubles, c'est ce qu'on appelle des dépôts amyloïdes. Hein, ça forme comme des films hydrogèles. Et euh, malheureusement, on ne peut pas encore aujourd'hui, euh, à ce jour, euh, s'en débarrasser. Donc euh, c'est euh, assez inquiétant parce qu'en fait ce sont des dépôts qui vont se faire dans le temps et qui vont s'accumuler dans le temps et qui vont créer des impacts non pas à court terme mais à très long terme. Euh, J'aurais aimé aussi que le docteur McKernan soit là pour on aurait pu aborder la contamination pl plasmidique des injections de nanoparticules lipidiques avec le promoteur SV40. So I wish Dr. McKernan uh, be here. Uh, we could have talked about uh, plasmid contamination with SV40 uh, promoters contamination. Um, but well, um, interestingly, um, the um, spike protein of Omicron seems to be less uh, susceptible to cleavage by uh, serine proteases. So it seems that it's pathogenic. That its pathogenicity, uh, and I do mean seems, uh, is diminished. Um, diminished. Um, 
however, um, other other proteases uh, may be involved. Uh, when we look at studies, uh, we can see that the uh, elasters of the neutrophils can cleave uh, the spike protein, but also uh, the the catepsin uh, G now for the Omicron variants. So. Um, I don't know what to think about it, but I think that the neuroinflammation um, can um, can be induced by the virus, uh, the spike protein of the virus, yes, but also the spike protein of the vaccines. And um, I think it's um, intimately uh, linked to um, how can I say, to the inflammatory processes, but um, all over the body, not only the, on the, the central nervous system. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but um, I think it's more general. It's um, more systemic. So, in fact, what I said is that, in fact, the protein spike, I don't remember even what I said in English, in fact. Uh, so Annalise, um, I, just, I just dropped a link in your DMs, right? And maybe, maybe you want to. Well, I can describe it real quickly, um, but maybe you want to sort of look at it more, more detail. But this was uh, an obituary. His name is Brendan Gill. He's got um, uh, SARS and long COVID, and basically. Everything that he tried, uh, from diet changes to meditation, you name it, every every alternative and also every conventional medical intervention tried. And they're saying his death was a consequence of systemic organ collapse. Now, um, you know, he's he's young. There was a in terms of establishing causality, he had an infection. He had a long-term presentation and continued to decline. Um, this is not a um, one-off situation. Now, this is the first time I've seen it being put out with respect to um, full, full systemic organ collapse. Now, you know, is everyone headed down that pathway? I'm not so sure. Again. Um, biology is far more complex than the binary ways that we can often describe it when we're talking about molecular biology. But it's just it's just an indicator of um, the range of responses that are potentially um, emergent as we move from the acute phases into the mid to long term phases. And I just wanted to add that because systemic inflammation is important as well, and it would appear to be able to lead to death in some instances. Kevin parlait d'un cas qui a été repris de quelqu'un qui est décédé donc après avoir eu le SARS et un Covid long, et que donc il avait tout essayé, en particulier changement de nourriture, méditation, médicaments, etc., Et qu'en fait, sa, sa mort avait été attribuée à une, 
un échec total de tous ces organes vitaux et donc un, une sorte de sorte de collapse systémique de, de, de toute sa santé, que, que donc euh, il, ne, il ne propose pas que le, ça va être le cas pour tout le monde et que donc c'est évidemment pas une, une question binaire de, euh, de ceux qui vont avoir et de ceux qui n'ont pas, mais que euh, vraiment s'atteler à, à comprendre en fait ce, ce problème essentiel d'inflammation très très significatif et, euh, et derrière de, de problèmes terme sur le cerveau et sur les plaques bien sûr. And this this person. Thank you very much. <laughs> for me, I just wanted to point that uh, for me, uh, the inflammation processes is uh, directly linked to the uh, amyloid properties of the spike protein. Um, I have some clues, but we will talk about uh, outside of the space. Um, well, just one question. I talked about the spike of Omicron that. Um, it seems uh, less susceptible to the proteases, okay, for the, for the protease cleavage. Mm. Um, when we look at uh, the spike of Omicron, uh, we see near uh, 30 different mutations on the RBG uh, side, okay? Uh, and we find some points uh, that can be found um, common to the alpha variant, to the Omicron variant, such as P681H mutation. Um, and that virus uh, mutates really quickly, really, 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 really quickly. So my question is, uh, do the variants come from natural mutation by adaptation to ACE2 receptors, or whether generated in the laboratory for you? What what do you think about that? Um, all of the above, I would say. Um, there's a Japanese preprint that was put out over the weekend, and they were they were making the claim that Omicron. Omicron's mutations, etc., would would fit precisely what you would expect. Um, back to multiple um, laboratory releases, and um, particularly because of overlap with mouse genetics. Um, I, I think we've we've made a very very unpredictable environment with respect to um, viral dynamics. Um, one with um, using a new quote-unquote vaccine technology en masse um, with a pathogen that um, again has all the features of engineering about it and if we're looking at something that wasn't an accident and something very deliberate um, that I would make the argument that the organizations and people involved would have been able to have a top-down view of all the bureaucratic and institutional changes that would kick in that they could, in this case, weaponize as well. And the people have to think, when we're talking about biowarfare, and this is, this is something Charles can speak to far, far better than I can, but you're not looking for a quick kill and uh, a move on. It's all about incapacitation, um, disruption, economic disruption, and long-term long -term effects so that 
if you're the one that initiated it, you you have the um the advantage and momentum should you when you decide. I mean, if this should be considered an act of war, um, in that war they have they have the upper hand as everyone is still trying to run backwards and forwards between whether it comes from a lab or nature or as it's the vaccines etc. It's all of it. And you can see the, the, the fallout of it every day um, on your news feeds, in your environment. And I, again, I just, I was reading a report today, um, the effect on children um, has been massive, particularly in the four, or what would have been four to seven-year-olds during the pandemic period, where they were, um, they're at a crucial point in their language development um masks were thrown up thrown on them you um they've lost close relatives um their whole the life as they knew it that that became the normal for them as they tried to understand the world around them and this is something that i would um i would credit uh friend mark kulak um he he pointed this out a lot of these types of studies, when you're looking at viruses, the molecular biology, the genome, etc., much of it, a lot of it, is geared towards um, eugenic-type impacts on the at a population scale. And in, at one end of the spectrum, you could be trying to find ways to manipulate the genome, physiology, such that you can gain an advantage, right? So in a military context, if you could give an mRNA gene transfection shot, which boosts muscle mass and IQ 30, 40%, right? That's, that's something to try and invest a lot of time and energy into. Now, whether you can really do that is open to debate. But what we, knew, what we know we can do is cause harm such that you lower, you, you, you essentially lower the physical and mental capacities of the other side who you consider your enemy. And then you've given your side the physical and intellectual advantage over the adversaries you have to fight. And I think that's a lot of what we've been dealing with um, in the last few years. And I know that was, a, that was kind of sort of scattershot statement perhaps needs translating but Charles should speak to this I will translate this first and then Charles can uh, donc il, par il parlait d'un préprint japonais qui, qui discutait des mutations au micron et donc euh, probablement que c'est l'ensemble enfin, de ces mutations sont probablement attribuées pas toutes mais une grosse partie peuvent être attribuées et donc, on est dans un environnement extrêmement imprévisible où il y a une dynamique de système qui est en, qui est en place entre euh, le, le virus qui est sorti lui-même, les mutations du virus, la technologie ARN qui elle-même peut produire probablement des, des, des conséquences pathogéniques aussi sur la, sur la population. Et donc, en fait, pour lui, ça, ce n'est pas un accident, c'est l'ensemble qu'il faut considérer et pas une seule de, de ces parties-là. Donc, euh, les gens, selon lui, les gens impliqués euh, avaient probablement une connaissance euh, très spécifique de l'architecture, on va dire, du haut jusqu'en bas, à la fois l'architecture institutionnelle et, et politique et, et militaire qui, qui allait être mise en place. Et que donc, euh, 
on, on se trouve dans, dans une situation euh, où en fait la création d'incapacité euh, chez d'autres peut, peut être conçue comme euh, l'objectif d'une arme, arme biologique euh, dans, le, dans le cadre d'une un, guerre biologique. Donc il faut revoir les termes qu'on utilise. Et en fait, euh, lui, il parle donc d'un momentum qui est très long, avec l'idée que quand on parle d'armes biologiques, et je pense que Charles va en parler, on ne parle pas de, de, de quelque chose qui va produire un résultat nécessairement extrêmement rapide, et, euh, mais qui va se manifester dans le long terme avec une, des impacts divers et variés sur la population et avec des séquelles sur la population qui sont à la fois des séquelles physiques et à la fois des, des séquelles cognitives. Il a ensuite parlé de l'impact sur les enfants, par exemple, euh, les enfants, euh, ont, particulièrement les 5-7 ans, étaient très impactés, à la fois par le fait que euh, ils ont été, euh, donc, su, enfin, les écoles ont été supprimées, euh, ils, ont, euh, ils ont dû porter des masques, ils ont perdu complètement leur, euh, leur tissu social euh, à un moment clé de développement euh, de, de la langue, en particulier du langage et du, de l'association entre le langage et le, le développement émotionnel. Et donc on voit que cet impact-là va, va être forcément, euh, euh, est déjà produit, et il a été produit à, à très, très grosse échelle. Donc il parle de l'échelle incroyable par rapport à ce qu'on a connu précédemment. Donc le nouveau, le nouveau normal de ces enfants-là est un nouveau normal qui est en Il a ensuite parlé de Marc Poulat qui avait qui était intervenu dans le ce qu'on avait il avait indiqué qu'il y avait de nombreux papiers <coughs> qui parlaient qu'il y avait une dimension eugénique par rapport à ces, à ces armes biologiques. En particulier, le fait qu'on peut effectivement manipuler le génome pour, pour des implications de gains physiologiques ou de gains cognitifs, par exemple le gain de muscles et le gain de coefficient intellectuel. Donc ça, c'est un apport qui, qui produit un, un bénéfice par rapport à à l'ennemi, mais on peut aussi considérer qu'une arme biologique peut affecter euh, les, euh, la santé physiologique et bien sûr la santé cognitive de l'adversaire, entre guillemets, donc l'adversaire ça devient la population adverse, et donc de réduire le coefficient intellectuel, de réduire la, la capacité cognitive, et bien sûr de réduire euh, la, la capacité de, de santé. Et donc si on considère que la population euh, d'un pays, c'est aussi une richesse, euh, on voit bien qu'affecter cette richesse-là directement, physiologiquement, cognitivement, mais aussi financièrement, puisque ça va avoir des impacts économiques évidents, on les a bien vus avec le lockdown, etc., on voit qu'effectivement, on peut concevoir euh, euh, ces armes-là comme étant des armes extrêmement puissantes. Charles Of people and be horrible are. If you have something that is so virulent and deadly, there's there's not really plausible deniability to release. 
the example Ebola outbreak in 2014. You talk to strong that outbreak can necessarily out. And it just so happens that the the scientists working at that lab were led by Robert Gary, who later was one of the authors of the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2. But the reason there was this, this, this concern is because Ebola Zaire is named because it comes from Zaire and emerged near the Ebola River, and that was 2,000 miles away. And that strain of Ebola, which is more tr transmissible, had never seen in West Africa. So that is, and there's been good papers written about this and, and why this looks suspicious. But from a military perspective, what you want from a bioweapon is plausible deniability. And there are two main objectives, things that you would want in a weapon, First, highly transmissible. This is why um, for, for several decades there have been experiments to, to aerosolize different um, pathogens, including anthrax in particular. Now for viruses, it's it's really hard to make a virus that can be aerosolized, and I can I can go into details later about why I, how I think they did that with SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2 does spread the aerosol highly effectively, which is which is unique amongst the coronavirus. Then two, something that is incapacitating but not lethal. And SARS-CoV-2 is incapacitating short-term, but because of the immune dysregulation impacts, it's also creating mid- and long-range problems. And that's where we're seeing the cancers and we're seeing the neurodegenerative diseases emerge. And that is how people, that is what you would want in a bioweapon because one it's you can you can just claim that this is that this is natural and then two there is a massive health impact that affects economies especially in the United States and it's going to continue to do that for a generation so that that is how people should be looking at this. It, a bioweapon is not, it, people have the idea of what a bioweapon is. They need to understand that it, this is an incapacitating agent. And that's why it fulfills all seven of those categories of gain of function research. And that's what we should be focusing on. Donc ce qu'il vient de dire, c'est que les, les, les bio-weapons, il faut les concevoir comme quelque chose qui ne, dont l'objectif n'est pas d'aller très vite mais, ou d'avoir une extrême mortalité euh, parce que ça ne, si c'était le cas, 
ça ne permettrait pas le, ce qu'on appelle le déni plausible. Et donc, en fait, pour, pour les, les institutions militaires, il est très important d'avoir ce déni plausible tout le temps en présent. Il a donné l'exemple de, de l'épisode d'Ebola en 2014 en Afrique, où la, 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 la perception de la population, c'est que cet épisode-là est fortement euh, conçu comme une sortie de laboratoire euh, de Sierra Leone. Et ce qui est très intéressant, c'est que la personne en charge de ça, c'était Robert, euh, Robert Gary, qui est aussi un des auteurs de Proximal Origin, qui est, euh, qui est le papier euh, absolument stupéfiant qui a été produit pour expliquer que c'était une zone haute un virus euh, produit de gain de fonction, et que donc il explique que le, le Ebola Zahir venait d'une source extrêmement loin et n'avait jamais été vu dans, dans cette partie-là d'Afrique de l'Ouest, et que donc le, le déni de plausibilité là-dedans, le, le déni de, de, de responsabilité n'était pas réellement possible. Donc militairement, il a expliqué que le déni plausible est très très important, et qu'il y a deux objectifs sur une arme biologique militaire, un, c'est un, qu'elle soit très transmissible et que donc l'idéal, c'est une contamination par l'aérosol, donc comme dans le cas de l'anthrax qui a été utilisé comme vecteur déjà avant. Mais l'aérosolisation la, la, de virus est très difficile à faire et très compliquée à mettre en laboratoire également. Et que donc pour lui, euh, sachant que SARS-CoV-2 se distribue de manière aérosol, c'est très unique par rapport aux autres. Aux autres. La deuxième chose qui est très importante, c'est que ça doit permettre une incapacité de la population, mais pas euh, nécessairement une incapacité mortelle immédiate. Sinon, encore une fois, on aurait, euh, on aurait un problème de, 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 de déni plausible. Et donc, les effets doivent être, bien sûr, à court terme, sur, un certain, sur une certaine échelle, mais que surtout, les effets à long terme soient très, soient très, très, très importants. Et que donc, là, on voit qu'avec les turbocancers qui sortent, les maladies neurodégénératives, les maladies auto-immunes, euh, l'objectif euh, est bien atteint, et que donc une arme biologique euh, doit être conçue euh, par rapport aux dommages qu'elle va imposer à long terme sur l'économie et euh, pendant des générations. Et là, si on considère ces, ces variables-là, on voit bien que c'est un agent incapacitant, en tout cas dans les, cir la, les circonstances et les, les preuves qu'on a sur les populations Um, th there are two important papers. I'm trying to find them right now, and I'm sure Charles has them at his fingertips. You don't know what I'm talking about. It's military medicine, and there's a study that was done by, I want to say it's the same group of individuals, biowarfare experts, done before the emergence of SARS-CoV-2, describing the ideal biowarfare agent, and They do the same again for SARS-CoV-2. Um, I'm just I'm scanning desperately to try to find the, the links for them. But do you have them, Charles? It would be important to disseminate yes, those. Yes, I'll, I'll find them. I'll find the graphics that I made as well. Hold on. Okay. Uh, you know what? I think I've got one. Barkas, analysis of virus SARS-CoV-2 as a potential bioweapon in light of international literature. I will put the link. Correct. Yeah, I'll give Annalise the link. One. I'm trying desperately to find yes. the other one. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Here's here's the SARS related one. I think.
Let's end to the moon. Got the I've got the DOI number for that study. It's just not. The title of the paper is Analysis of the Virus, SARS-CoV-2. Um, this is post-SARS post and... Sorry. It should be uh, better organized with this type of data available people okay that is light of sales coffee it's the same group right charles if i remember correctly okay i get the paper okay. Is that what it's called? Beyond the Dirty Dozen? Mm. Yeah, a proposed methodology for... Yeah, yes. That's, uh, that's quite the title. Well, so let me just... So I'll, I'll explain a group of military experts in 2018 I believe it, it, a potential or actual Toxins that have been used or could be used as biological weapons, they they grade them on a scale from uh, zero to three on fullness or attractiveness as a potential bioweapon across twelve different. So they rank them all. Two, they use the same scale to grade SARS-CoV-2 and they didn't they didn't they didn't explain it in that in the second paper I made a graphic where I put SARS-CoV-2 in so 33 pathogens SARS-CoV-2 had the fourth highest score as a potential bioweapon so, uh, yeah, so you can go ahead and translate that. Donc, il a expliqué que, euh, avec ces deux papiers qui vont vraiment être. Et en, en 2018, il y a eu des experts militaires qui, ont, qui faisaient de la recherche sur les pathogènes euh, et les toxines potentielles euh, pour être utilisées en tant, tant qu'armes biologiques. Et ils avaient fait une liste euh, où ils où il gradaient, enfin, ils il faisaient un ranking de ces. De ces pathogènes-là de 0 à 3 sur leur utilité en tant qu'arme biologique sur 12 catégories différentes. En 2022, ils ont, ils ont utilisé la même, la même échelle pour noter le SARS-CoV-2, COV2, pardon, mais ils n'ont ils ont pas expliqué nécessairement beaucoup de détails. Et donc lui, Charles, a fait un graphique où il a positionné le SARS-CoV-2 par rapport à ces différents pathogènes qui avaient déjà été listés. Il a trouvé qu'il qu était au quatrième au quatrième le plus, haut, le plus haut niveau en quatrième niveau 
euh, par rapport à ceux qui étaient là dans la liste comme étant une arme biologique qui satisfaisait, on va dire, tous les critères qu'ils qu avaient sur ces 12, ces 12 catégories qu'ils avaient euh, potentiellement. And I would, I would add, um, again, I'm trying to run from memory and none of these papers, as far as I remember, uh, from this military group, they, it, it's a very, very important um, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic comparison. But as far as I'm aware, Charles, please correct me if I'm wrong, they do not talk about ability to have an aerosolized amyloid inducing agent um prions as a agent of war have been discussed about in the literature for some time but the problem is is that the mechanism is such that there you can expose someone in a room right you could aerosolize it uh, Scrapey prions, what we understand as um, BSE, uh, new variant, Kreutzfeldt, Yakov, etc. Um, you can aerosolize that, and that can cause problems. It tends not to spread in infectious chains. What, we'd, what we seem to be dealing with, and this has been my most major concern, is that at the weapon design level, they've figured out that they can have these um, exposed epitopes at, at various points of the infectious cycle that can cause um, prion amyloidogenic cascades. And like I say, the paper with respect to the PET imaging is a, you know, we, we fortunately someone captured that in a PET imaging study and got it out to the public. So there's, evidence there that that mechanism is at play and in terms of well this this comes down to computation i think that their ability to look at epitopes from multiple multiple pathogens and think about how to put them together so that they can leverage these disease mechanisms and have this long-term effect that's far, far away from the initial infective um, exposure. And, you know, the I remember distinctly, I'd have to dig around for the exact paper, but, you know, their ideal agent is one that gives you a mild cold, perhaps, but then has seeded these amyloid-like properties. And that looks to me, exactly what SARS-CoV-2 is, and the amyloid disease process is can be leveraged by gene transfection. There's your binary agent. Perhaps you'd like to translate that. Again, I'm, I'm running off a, a um, complex tangent, and I'm conscious I'm sorry, of... Man. Et donc, il, a, il, a parlé, il reparle de la, des propriétés euh, amyloïdes donc du, du SARS-CoV-2 et qu'en fait, euh, on peut utiliser les mécanismes euh, où on peut, on peut exposer des gens à des, sous la forme aérosol, donc à, à un, un virus qui, euh, qui, peut être, qui peut faire des dommages, mais en fait, il a beaucoup de mal à se distribuer. 
Et donc, on voit que là, quand ils sont arrivés à avoir des épitopes euh, qu'ils ont, qu ont gardés donc pour, pour, le, pour le cycle d'infection, et qu'on voit qu'à chaque cycle d'infection, ça crée une cascade amyoline, et donc que là, on, ça, 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 ça reprend, la, 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 on va dire, la la qualité, entre guillemets, d'une un, arme biologique, puisque euh, les, les épitopes de, peuvent, peuvent créer donc, euh, ces maladies à très long terme et avoir des, des effets à long terme. Donc, en fait, pour lui, c'est un agent idéal. Et l'agent idéal, euh, on va dire, de guerre biologique, c'est un agent qui produit une grippe relativement légère, mais qui, derrière, a des propriétés amyloïdes comme le SARS-CoV-2. Et que donc, pour lui, il faut vraiment considérer ce, ce mécanisme euh, qu'on qu peut voir, euh, évidemment, avec le SARS-CoV-2. Et ce que je voulais rajouter tout à l'heure, c'est qu'il euh, faut garder à l'esprit qu'en plus, ce système est pérenne parce que les coronavirus, c'est-à-dire tous les variants dérivés, Omicron, etc., les coronavirus sont les champions de la recombinaison. Donc en plus, c'est un système qui va être pérenne. Tu peux traduire ça, Flo, parce que je suis un peu... So this, this, what she's saying is that the system will also be very endemic or it will be extremely um, resistant in the long term because all of the SARS um, viruses, are, you know, mutate and they're, and they're decaying. So this will be an endemic, effectively, effect in the long term. Yeah. And, and, and they love combination. Yes. That's yeah. the point. Yes, very much so, and very and, and becomes very difficult to track over the long term. And I know um, Annalise was having back and forwards after the last space with Binda, name Dr. Binda, and there, uh, oh, Dr. Binda, yes, yes, and there was someone who doesn't understand the level of or, or the subtleties in the weaponization. His argument was, well, once the immediate infection is over, that's it. And that's not, that's not the world in which these people operate. He's got a very one-dimensional view of what it is that we're dealing with. And again, we're, I'm not sure what the future looks like when they've got this ability to... Um, grab so much genetic data from people, which they've already done by, think how many people got swabbed, etc. I've been swabbed multiple times. Um, I don't know where that data went after they're done with it. And I mentioned at the beginning that, um, that there's scandals right now that they were, that wasn't just biological waste that was thrown into the autoclave and then put in the landfill. It was sold on to private companies who were building out these databases. And this is a Charles. Charles can speak to HIV databases and um, how they sit at the very heart of, I would say, the US biowarfare infrastructure. And we, we know that these are extant right now of their, their long history but we don't know what's coming um in the future and with the ability to be able to start predicting protein formation um we had the deep learning 
breakthrough uh, within the last year. Um, who knows what they're going to be? Who knows what combination of epitopes that they can throw together and combination of carrier particles that they can throw together that make it ever more difficult to track, especially when the symptoms are emergent weeks to months to years afterwards. And perhaps you want to translate that and then perhaps Charles can explain the HIV databases that they... Uh, yes, I will try to translate this. I also have to be um, uh, letting you go, guys, because I have to. I have a work call now, so I'm going to have to drop in about 10 minutes. So just FYI for everyone else. Um, donc, ce dont il parle, euh, effectivement, ici, c'est que la complexité qu'il va y avoir avec cette histoire, c'est aussi de tracer euh, et de suivre les effets euh, au long terme, euh, à la fois du au recombinant possible et aux effets inter, enfin d'interaction entre le virus et les, les vaccins. Donc cette difficulté va faire que le, le futur est très incertain. Un, parce qu'il y a énormément de données génétiques qui ont été prises de nombreuses euh, populations et de nombreuses fois. Donc qui a, a accès à ces données génétiques Qui va s'en servir euh, Et qu'en plus, ces données génétiques ont, été, euh, ont fait l'objet de transactions, hein, de transactions également. Donc qui les a achetées euh, là, il parle effectivement de, de, de l'équivalent qu'on a eu avec les bases de données sur le, le HIV. Et en fait, que ces bases de données-là sont au cœur de l'infrastructure de guerre biologique américaine. Et j'imagine que pas, que pas que les Américains. Euh, et que donc, en fait, les modèles de computation qui existent à l'heure actuelle vont permettre un certain nombre de recombinaisons et, et de vecteurs. Et que donc, ça, ça va permettre encore une fois euh, une, un potentiel de, de, de génération d'autres. De, d'autres virus et d'autres armes biologiques probablement très 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 significatifs et, et qui va rendre le traçage de ça et la, et la compréhension de ce qui est en train de se passer extrêmement difficile. Alors, je... Oui, je voulais simplement, parce qu'il y a un intervenant démonté que je sais de qualité, c'est Marc, euh, je voulais euh, simplement savoir si euh, sa question était euh, très courte et très concise et si on avait le temps de la traiter ou si on s'excusait auprès de lui. Non, t'inquiète, ce sera très court. Merci beaucoup. En tous les cas, quand tu me dis euh, intervenant de qualité, euh, merci, merci, merci. Euh, euh, bon, ça va être très court et je vais la faire en anglais directement, comme ça, euh, ça, va, ça, va, ça va raccourcir les choses. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Charles and Kevin uh, to be here because uh, it's very interesting. And uh, I would like to to uh, to ask ask you something based on my uh, experiences. Uh, the the main question will be: When do we know exactly? when uh, this is, uh, I know that we know already, but when this is, uh, when will be spread out uh, to the general public that uh, this was uh, something awful, uh, I can say, uh, don't the uh, kind of function uh, was on purpose 
made, it's, uh, etc. Uh, how much time do we want to to want before having the the real effects and uh, to have unconditional uh, proof? Uh, I have a military basis, uh, and uh, we always been uh, trained in NBC nuclear biological and uh, chemical war uh, but it was also on on a, on a base uh, on a direct base i would say uh, here we have it seems we have something that uh, will last for uh, 10 15 20 years we don't know we don't know so uh, back to the basic uh, i would like to know if you can tell me, if you have an idea, how long this will uh, this will last? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, dopamine, Tiffany, and Annelies. Merci. Charles, do you want to? You're yes, the expert um, here with so, the weapons, not me. Yes. So the so I believe the question is. Okay, so how do we, if, if this is in fact the product of gain-of-function research, how can we prove that? And, and what is the overall impact going to be? And so what we need to understand, and this is why I've taken this particular path in, in my research, because what I've set out to prove is that they understood all of these things prior to the pandemic, and they made decisions that went against the, the scientists and, and researchers and, and, and biotech companies made decisions that went against their own previous decisions. That And so that to me is the best way to prove that this was intentional because when the virus viral genome was released they knew immediately that even if say even if the united states had nothing to do with the creation of the virus when they saw the genome they knew by January 13th, that there was a furin cleavage site within the genome, and they didn't tell anyone. And we know they knew this because they wrote in peer-reviewed papers. They made the decision to retain the furin cleavage site, and that was one of the key decisions they made prior to submitting the genome to Moderna for production. And that's what I'm talking about is the Vaccine Research Center at the NIH. So they knew that, but then they didn't discuss the furin cleavage site in public uh, until March 17th, two months later. And so between all the attendees of this famous two, February 1st teleconference, there were 33 papers and articles written by them, and none of them mentioned the furin cleavage site until the proximal origin was released so that they could control the narrative. So 
What that means is that they allowed it to spread without warning anybody of its high pathogen, pathogenic potential because they knew before China even admitted that it could transfer between human to human, they knew that it was a pandemic level virus and they kept it quiet until they could control their narrative. And that right there, to me, is proof of a crime against humanity. If I'd, I'd, I'd just add one more thing to that, which is, we touched on this earlier. Um, as more and more evidence come forward of what has happened, be very careful of them just pivoting to then say it's all China and they get on a war footing um, because they're going to extract and, de and deflect from their role in what has happened. And I think we're seeing that already. I'm very suspicious of them suddenly finding um, laboratories via a hose pipe that was in leading into their uh, facility. Um, these, these types of things just don't, don't pass the sniff test for me. Um, uh, again, uh, we don't know. To, to the person's question, in terms of timescale, we, we already see increases with respect to um, a number of um, systemic and neurological diseases uh, occurring in the uh, epidemiological data. And how long that lasts and how it peaks, I don't know. Um, perhaps as a white pill or saying something's it couldn't be as bad as people could fear is many, many years ago when new variant Kreutfeldt Yakov disease was being discovered, uh, it's linked to cows and eating infected beef. We had a hockey stick like increase in individuals who were being diagnosed and that it was called new variant Kreutzfeldt Yakov because it was happening in a younger age cohort rather than um, Kreutzfeldt Yakov emerging in, this, in your 60s and 70s. Um, it may be that it'll flatten out relatively quickly. I hope it does. I pray it does. Um, and I would always say that uh, for all the um, hubris that these people have, biology is way, way more complex. We're only just beginning to get a handle on it. Can they hurt us? Can they wipe everything out? No, I don't think so. And I'll say, I'll say this. You've got this far. Um, just be cognizant of the fact that these mechanisms are at play and try to get through the other side of it. Uh, yeah. I know dopamine's got to go, so... Yeah, sorry. Uh, donc, je vais traduire ce qu'a dit, euh, qu dit euh, Charles et ce qu'a conclu de rajouter Kevin à la fin. Donc, euh, la, la, il, a, il a résumé la question que, 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 qui a été posée. Donc, si c'est effectivement le résultat d'un gain de fonction, comment le prouver et, euh, et, et quel va être l'impact Donc, ça, c'était en gros la question. Donc, lui, il... il, il fait sa recherche depuis le début pour prouver, en fait, qu'il avait... Que, gens qui étaient responsables avaient compris euh, à l'avance de la pandémie, on va dire, euh, comment, euh, comment ils allaient contrer ça et comment ils allaient prendre un certain nombre de décisions euh, de manière euh, très intentionnelle, en particulier quand le, le génome a été produit, 
même si euh, ça a été fait euh, à partir de janvier 2020, ils ont caché que le, le, le site de, de Furin, donc le site de clivage du Furin, euh, était là. Et donc, euh, ils ont, avant de donner euh, la séquence euh, du virus à Moderna, et donc ça, ils parlaient du NIH et, de, et de, du centre de recherche de vaccinologie du NIH. Euh, ils ont donc, euh, ils n'ont pas discuté de ça avant mars, le 17, euh, le 17 mars. Et donc, il y avait à ce moment-là 33 papiers différents euh, qui avaient été écrits et qu'aucun de ces papiers-là ne mentionnait le clivage avant que le papier sur l'origine proximal origin soit publié. Ils ont donc laissé euh, courir, on va dire, le, le, le virus de manière intentionnelle, même avant que la Chine ne reconnaisse qu'ils euh, qu avaient, qu avaient euh, un problème de, avec, avec ce virus. Et, de, et donc, ils ont laissé, en fait, selon Charles, ils ont laissé la, la pandémie se développer pour pouvoir contrôler le narratif et probablement aussi pouvoir sortir les, les, les vaccins. Et que donc, ils considèrent, lui, que un, ça constitue un crime contre l'humanité et que donc euh, de se méfier aussi qu'en fait, et ça c'est ce que Kevin a rajouté, qu'en fait euh, ce qui va se passer c'est qu'il faut se méfier que le, les états unis en fait pour essayer de se détacher de la responsabilité euh, qu'ils ont dans ce, le rôle de, de, de toute cette histoire, ils vont essayer euh, de faire bouger le narratif vers une responsabilité de la Chine. On voit depuis euh, un certain nombre de semaines que c'est effectivement le cas. Et en, fait, et en fait, il a rajouté après que euh, les nombreux problèmes que l'on observe déjà en neurologie et les problèmes euh, très significatifs, euh, on, on pourrait espérer que comme, la, comme ce qui s'est passé dans le cas de la maladie de Charles Jacob, que peut-être euh, on va avoir une, une, un aplatissement, on va dire, des effets sur le temps. C'est très difficile à dire et qu'en fait, euh, ce qu'il qu explique, c'est que la biologie est beaucoup plus complexe que, que les systèmes même très, très sophistiqués de recherche de scientifiques, peut-être avec des égaux assez, assez puissants, et qu'en fait la, la biologie continue à faire ce qu'elle doit faire et ce qu'elle fait, et que donc il espère que les effets seront probablement graduels et, et peut-être, on n'espère pas aussi significatifs qu'on peut les voir à l'heure actuelle, mais que c'est très difficile de savoir ce que le, ce que le futur Et donc là-dessus, malheureusement, je dois vous laisser pour des raisons professionnelles euh, et donc euh, Annie je te laisse je te laisse faire la conclusion Tiffany oui euh, ben en fait je voulais simplement remercier donc euh, Kevin euh, donc McKern et euh, Charles Xet pour ces deux heures et quelques passées avec nous pour toutes les informations qu'ils nous ont apportées euh, les échanges furent passionnants et je pense qu'on n'a pas fini de parler donc euh, des bioweapons euh, et des goffs et de la spike et de ses propriétés amyloïdes, etc. Donc, je vous remercie vraiment du fond du cœur. Donc, pas tu peux traduire rapidement. Yeah. Uh, so, Kevin and Charles, thank you very much for these two over hours that you um, allowed us to have and for sharing all of your knowledge and your worries and your scientific inquiry and your contribution. We appreciate it very much. It's obviously a very large subject that includes the Uh, neurological consequences, um, obviously the complexity of gain of function itself, the responsibility and implication for humanity as a whole. So thank you very much for your time and for allowing the French audience to have access to this information. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Je termine juste en vous remerciant, Kevin et Charles. Merci. Et je dis un spécial merci au docteur Louis Fouché, euh, médecin, 
résistant de Marseille, que vous connaissez tous en France, qui est resté pendant plus de deux heures avec nous. Donc un grand merci à Louis. Special thanks to Dr. Louis Fouché, who was with, with us uh, during two hours. Bye bye everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a, have a good sleep, you guys. Okay. I'll keep streaming for a little bit if people want to hop on. Um, yep. I'll do a breakdown of uh, what was a very interesting talk. Thank you to everyone um, for contributing. So. That's, that's me out the... Cables everywhere. Just, just bear with me, folks. Um, I'll see if I can... I'll see if I can get Charles on the blower. Wait, wait a second. Um, uh, like Charles is, um, well, we had to take him to the doctors today. Still, still, um, how should we say? Oh, <laughs> I think. It's like he picked up COVID when he got here. We're in the middle of a wave, and he's still uh, he's still um, under the weather somewhat. Let me just see if he wants to continue. Break down, but um, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to um, talk through these issues um of course they're very this do that that should sort out any sound um it's nice to be able to talk and uh, talk to talk to uh international audience um french audience who you know i know in the background uh speaking to annalise and dopamine 13 um, they don't get this information as much as uh, you think. You think the news is getting uh, played with in um, in the West, uh, in countries where they have completely different um, languages. Uh, they they can control the space far far better. Um, Charles wants to continue. Uh, so let me send Zoom link. I see Nick in the chat. I don't know if he wants to. Um, I'll send you one link. Uh, Nick, if you want to jump in, you're more than welcome. Uh, figure out Zoom real quick. Also, I want to thank people for sitting through the stream. Um, I get it. It's a little slower paced with respect to the normal <laughs> style of things that I do. And, um, but it's important, right? You, you, we have to, we have to be able to, um, fight where we can. And, uh, that means, that means going a little slow. So, and props to, uh, Dopaminergic 13, just for, for being able to do that type of translation on the fly like that. Um, very, very impressive. And the, um, she was, she was nailing it as, you know, I speak, 
French somewhat. Um, you know, I lived there for quite a few years. And so my understanding of French is pretty good. My ear is still sort of tuned to it. And she she was impeccable in how she um, was translating what is a very technical language to um, to relate to people and um i i wish i could do that i wish i had the ability to be um so fluent in different languages but we don't or i don't so um i have to make do all right um shogun rikasu how are you just i'm doing good can you hear me Yes, I can. And uh, ah, you, you're learning with that mic, sir. It's uh, hello. <laughs> you had enough. Judy uh, back. She's just ringing in my ears. Thank you, thank you, whoever that was. Uh, much, much appreciated. And uh, let me get rid of this. And I sent an invite to Nick as well, just to see if he wants to um, contribute. He was okay he was there in the chat um going backwards and forwards but um how was your take on what we on what was i thought a very good two hours i was very i, I was very happy with it because i think we we managed to cover we weren't able to get more into the in depth into the hiv epitopes but I think I think by going through the categories of gain of function, like starting with that and just getting that in people's minds and then um, going explaining or just introducing that paper that talks about like the rankings and I, I think it was very it was very, I wish we had longer, but I think it was a really good introduction into looking at this from a gain of function bioweapon perspective. Um, so I was, I was very happy with it. Well, the, the, um, look, consider me, you know, British and French have a love hate relationship, but, um, I'm very, very happy that we were able to disseminate this information to people. And I was saying, I don't know if you heard us, um, getting the link ready, um, that as far as, as much as we think our information feeds are messed with. In countries where, you know, they're non-English speaking, it's even worse, right? There's a a lack of alternative sources. And, you know, I think they're actually open to the the predations of the more leery end of the spectrum. So, like, the Spanish-speaking world was taken over by the Cinque column right and their graphene rift um france I and that's kind of that's kind of spread to france too <laughs> probably i mean you know they there's there's a lot of crossover there um but you know in france they were lucky in that they had luc montagne who who was very vocal right from the beginning and so there was a degree of uh, skepticism about the uh, the official line that people could latch on to relatively quickly and Luc Montagnier was on 
some of the bigger news shows in in France. Um, and hang on, waiting room one message. Let's see. Goddamn Zoom. That's all too complex. Why, why can't things be simple, Charles? But I'm allowed yeah. to just add telephone, phone people up. That was it. And then you hung up. I'm going to ask for forgiveness because I'm eating dinner because I had to take my medicine. So I'm eating some noodles while I do it. So well, forgive me if it... I'll, I'll just say than... this. Um, has there been some improvement across the day um from... yes i feel i feel a lot better okay. i feel a lot better good um then uh it was a a trip worth paying and um a price worth paying in terms of uh money why don't you tell people just um your medical experience in japan and compare um, contrast and compare please oh geez well so we went to the doctor. I've, I've had but nerve pain and, and massive headaches, and um, and we believe that it's it's called the cervicogenic headache, which causes, in this case, a nerve in my neck is 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 being tweaked, and that's causing pain all up and down that nerve, and also in my in my front temple really really bad pain <clears throat> and so well the good news is that the the uh i think well, i actually have to take the more of, of the uh the pregabalin so in a minute i'm gonna i'm gonna have like it's gonna look like i have dip in my mouth when i when i take that medicine but but basically what i experienced was we went to the doctor and within 70 minutes Actually, no. Within 70 minutes, you had picked me up from here, my apartment. We drove to the hospital or to the clinic. We had like a 20-minute, there was no wait. We had like a 20-minute consultation. Then we went next door. And within 10 minutes, we had everything from the pharmacy. And it cost, I think, $90.00. In, in U.S. dollars, which would which would be the copay, that that, that would be the twenty percent copay, out of an twenty percent out of a hundred, so like the eighty percent would be covered by insurance. That's in some places it's a little bit cheaper, but but overall, like that's like the copay back in the states. Look, so, it's it's generic medicines, folks. So you know, there's it's incredible, uh, but I, it's incredible the 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 quality of the care and the professionalism without big pharma being involved in it and uh, without the massive health bureaucracy adding on top of it um i was amazed i, I was really amazed so yeah and, um, and I, I slept the entire day but same but um, yeah but i feel but i do feel better and i can tell that it's working so I'm, uh, let's see. Uh, 
Ah, all right. Uh, just carry on. I've got something else to bring up in a second. Um, uh, well, what do you want to talk about? Um, oh, a favorite individual. Oh, well, I, there, I have several favorites. <laughs> do you need to be uh, more specific? Well, um, I'm not going to say who's saying this, but um, it would appear that Jay is accusing me of um, rooting for a new, more, um, more totalitarian Patriot Act. Um, I'm asking for the tweets right now, and don't make me um, laugh. It hurts. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, all wow. that, um, all that. What should I say? An anarchist type science that I engage in, and the mm. <laughs> the authoritarian approach that I take. Yeah, that's me. Uh, that's me wanting a new, uh, more, more, <laughs> more control, more matrix shoved down our throat. Um, that's like Billy Bostickson being deep state. That's, I mean, the odds are pretty slim, given that he is like a radical, radical. Uh, it's just, it's kind of like it's it's ridiculous. Um, but, and it's hard for me to even wrap my head around what his argument would be for that. All right, hang on, let me share my screen with you. Just, um bringing this up he's such a dimwit uh, do you think the war on terror is justified reason for the patriot act they why does this have to be real but you have no problem believing a government would pre-rig a building for demolition and blaming it on terror terrorists actors posers grifters whatever these two guys working really hard for four hours to lay down the TV worst case scenario narrative on April 4th, 2020. Four hours of blatant admissions for anyone with open eyes and ears. Um, again, this is. Uh... I can't see. Is that you? Yeah, this or, was a, a round table we did with Addy Ads, um, Paul oh, Cattrall. And Paul Cattrall? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, um, I think I've been pretty consistent in warning about the lab origins. Um, you know, I only had my run-in with it, which was severe. And, you know, yeah, but now we know that I tick off a lot of the boxes that would make it um, me on the on, on the yeah, more severe thought, end of the spectrum but i thought jay was 100 percent right from the beginning and yeah that's how, how he's doing his purity test so but he was also in that discussion which yep. is weird yeah so so was he right 100 percent. i'm confused because by his own purity test he doesn't qualify so i guess we should just start calling him um jj weinstein Um, after what the Eric and um, Brett? Yeah, I mean, since since he seems to, since he's committing the same sins as them by by not 
having not, all the not the other Weinstein who was uh, <laughs> raping his way through Hollywood. No, no, not Harvey. Harvey. Not Harvey. Harvey. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But that's why this is so ridiculous. Because, um, first of all, I fought in Iraq, and I don't believe that the Patriot Act was justified. So, um, and it, knowing you as well as I do. I know that you also think it's ridiculous. So the, I, it's hard for me to even follow the logic that would lead to us. Just because we think that this threat is real doesn't mean that we think that the measures that they've imposed are justified. That That's that's a, a false premise. So, Straw man. But I'm not a scientist, so what do I know? I don't have, uh, what was, I, I, I responded in a tweet, actually, and I'm trying to remember which one. Oh, yeah. So Jay was um, talking about bolus theory in response to a tweet from Jicky, right? And okay. I had to, look, that's a bullshit nonsense argument that was put forward by Girodo, that French. Well, I don't, so... Let me just say, I think that the bolus theory can account for some of what we saw. But I believe in the grand scheme of things, it's only a minor part of what... I do think that it's possible that that the bolus idea can have something to do with sudden infant death syndrome or just other issues with vaccines going all the way back. But... That's not all that's happening here. That's not all that happened during this pandemic. And so using that as the answer for everything or iatrogenic issues as the answer for everything is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, there's a... Look, you would have to be... intellectually dishonest around... The data to think that everything was just all one cause and so the, the approach being taken by the panda group which is everything was all iatrogenic um doesn't jive with what we see even now right um in other countries that didn't have the same restrictions on uh, medical intervention, right? And to to contend that there were no casualties from SARS or it was all just forced ventilation which caused the um, all of the deaths. Um, again, you're going to just box yourself into a corner where it's just going to be easy from the... Look, there are there's published literature out there about the differences between SARS-CoV-2. I remember, I'll probably dig it out, but um, the first autopsy we got was Russian, right? And they showed very, and they had, they do direct comparisons with H1N1, if I remember correctly, the flu. And they, they show very dramatically how SARS is presenting differently as a disease. 
and they identify coagulopathy as a major, major component of um, death in individuals. Now, the, I, was, I was trying to talk a little bit about this in the, in the stream, is that people seem to want to take biology as binary, like computing or engineering. If you have X, you get Y. Biology is just way, way more complex than that, that you have a, you have cohorts of effects, right? You have cohorts of people, and we had the paper come out recently which said that a common, um, I forget which, it's, it's an immune-related uh, gene phenotype, a genotype, um, basically means that 20% of the population essentially are going to show no effects, right? Because of this common, um, we can call it advantageous polymorphism. Um, you're going to have some... Who There's no not. such thing as biological race, Kevin. <laughs> I'll see if I can um, find, find the paper. But um, to, be, to be trying to argue that this tyrannical pathway that we're on is just uh, it, it's just theatrics from higher higher powers right the, the, it's all just uh shadows on the cave wall belies the science that we do have that yep. started to come out very very quickly now you know there's arguments to be had about well yeah if, if we take the modern technologies that have come into common usage in the last 10 years right and switch them to intense surveillance like they like they did do um the second and nick is trying to join the zoom call um yeah i don't see him in the waiting room ah there he is he just popped in thank you alberto um have uh, Nick join in. I forgot what I was saying now. Talking. Oh yes, that um, that you could pull off this type of tyrannical tiptoe without a real agent. It just belies any sort of well, it belies the evidence that we have. Belies the um, critical thinking skills. And again, what it is is it's an appeal to. Um, it's not real, so we can ignore it and go back to normal. And that yeah. that ignores the predator in the tree line, right? You just want to pretend that the tiger's not there. We just go walking. There's no such thing as tigers. And we can, if you get eaten by one, it's just a figment of your imagination. Um, yep. And... Their, their argumentation. Look, I'm, there's no way I'm not going to argue for the... Um, or, or, or try to say that there's... There isn't this tyranny, which is what they're arguing for. Have they used SARS-CoV-2 to leverage that tyranny? Yes. Yes. So it means you've got an enemy out there that's got specific strategic goals and will use these elements to try to um, force populations in a particular direction um 
but to try to try to claim that uh, viruses don't exist, that um, you're dealing with, and again, the premise that he took, Jay, in this instance, we can go hard on Jay as this is he's attacking in this instance, um, that when you get an infectious clone of something, oh, Nick, is that you? Oi. Oi, oi, Geyser, you all right? Geyser, um, are you guys having a, a, are you having a, a DOS attack on this stream? There's been a lot of audio chopping in and out on the different channels. Um, that might have been because of uh, the way that I have to set it up for oh. um, the space, right? So, oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Right, so it should be fixed now. I'm aware of the problem, awesome. and um, I'm hoping that the sound is okay. People just want to give me um, a signal in the chat that, that everyone is coming through okay. Um, I would be uh, appreciative. Um, so I was I was actually just getting to a point which you can speak to Nick, which is that um, that a virus um, cannot spread indefinitely and basically just reverts back to um, its progenitor state as part of the swarm. Um, Let's ask all the people that died of HIV disease this year and see how that worked out for them. Right. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's that's one place to start. Um, pardon my pardon my bias, but um, uh, it's in, it's synthetic. They said it was synthetic in Congress before it was deployed in Africa and on the Heptavax cohorts, and it's been doing just fine. It's been mutating and creating new variants and. Um, including uh, it's been trying to work around uh, the the anti I say anti HIV actions of Truvada. There are now Truvada resistant strains. So the precept that a that a synthesized pathogen will essentially mutate its way out of efficacy, um, you know. I'd like to see an example of, of that. I, I've got some data. It's called HIV. I'd like to see anyone else's example of that. Um, Charles, do you want to add anything to that? I know you've got. I know you've uh, had a ton to that, but please, the floor yeah. is yours, sir. Well, got, Don't open. I have back. something under my tongue. I have something under my tongue right oh, now. Oh, okay. Well, so, as as um, as you are taking your medicine, we'll. Um, <laughs> Well, so one thing we could do, like, it depends what, what you want to cover, because uh, we could even go through that paper and go through those 12 categories that those bioweapons experts rated it on, if you want. Yeah, I do, I do, I do have them up, actually. So let me try and... and I, I have it up, too, but if you have it, because Sorry. I think going through that, this one, the dirty we'll dozen. build on what we were talking about inside the stream so that way people understand what bioweapons experts look for in terms of a bioweapon uh, well charles what about um what about ebola these ebola deployments have involved in a variety of different strains they keep mutating it. um but 
then the I would assume the epi- epidemiology measures that come into force arrest the spread. I mean, that's what the world sees. That's the best insight that I've got is what's been in the news. <laughs> Not that I trust the news, but um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, wait, I'm a- I guess I'm- ask that question again. I'm asking I'm asking about Ebola as an example. I started by saying HIV, you know, has been going for decades and it doesn't stop. But then let's turn and look at the Ebola deployments. They they don't keep spreading like wildfire. There's not endemic Ebola across Africa. Um, It's been it's been restricted to the places where they deployed it, in my opinion. Um, So I'm just curious about. Yes. Yeah. About just just epidemiology. Uh, epidemiologically mm-hmm. the fact that ebola it spreads through body fluids when but it's only transmissible um during certain phases and because it makes people non-ambulatory mm-hmm. it, it it i mean it works just like you basically it it burns out it's more amenable to I don't want to say lockdowns, but when you do actual quarantining, it can, that those kind of things will work for that type of virus. Mm-hmm. Oh, Whereas, no shit. Check this out. Virus. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, God, I share virus. my screen. Oh, God, I share my screen. Uh-oh. Sorry. Fuck Ebola. It's like, it's, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's too incapacitated. It's too lethal and it doesn't spread well because fluids, etc. We get that. Um, let me just share my screen. <laughs> He's so retarded, man. I'm waiting with bated breath. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Charles, if you aerosolize something and you've got a little device in, say, you know, a club, a restaurant, a dance hall, a convention center. That's an that's an interesting scenario. Well, so yes, aerosol aerosolization has always been a goal for bioweapons research, but getting something that can self propagate. Yeah, because aerosolizing anthrax just it does it doesn't spread like it. Okay. You can kill people, but it doesn't spread on its own. Yeah. The ultimate goal, not like monkeypox, right? the The ultimate goal is to have something that's that that can propagate on its own, mm-hmm. not. And so that is where JC thinks that it's like that's impossible. The anthrax, but whereas I think what they all they did was they they figured out how to aerosolize it and create an aerosolized virus that can spread in the wild. Now I see this is a pretty funny. Um, so JC is is sharing the uh, the space. Thanks JC for giving us some more space. Um, it's hard to differentiate this discussion from one in mid twenty twenty. Quite remarkable. Kevin even thanks RFK Jr. Yes, yes, we've been thanking him for for two months for coming out and and speaking the way that he has. Um, I'm grateful that RFK didn't just listen to JC. He also listened to me and to others. And he was smart enough to pull 
he was smart enough to sort the wheat from the chaff. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that chaps JC's ass, but that's okay. I don't care. I'm just grateful that. So this is pretty funny. Even as the biology and data from 2020 doesn't support their spreading incapacitating bioweapon narrative, they remain certain. What well, actually, fucking data is that? Kerry, bring it. Yeah. Come up. You can come can on the stream. Bring, I know you're listening. Your bring your data. Let's have a look at it. And we've we've your data looked because at I it. have data too. Yeah. Let's it. let's look at the paper that just came out about CD4s and T cells and the yes, coronavirus. Sir. It's a creeping, okay. it's a slow burn, it's a smolder. And um, very much like HIV, uh, people are unaware of their endemic risks, their opportunistic infections that they, you've got them, everybody, you've got opportunistic infections. You didn't, you didn't know that you had them. You've had them from your dogs and your cats and sexual contacts and fluid exchange and environmental contaminations Boy, in your life. Slow it down. You, you and you've, your body you've fluids. Got them. You've monkey got them. Pox, monkey pox is just infectious clones. Nick, come on now. Um, monkey pox was distributed in vaccine trials to gay men who were trying to fight HIV in the 2000s and 2010s. That's what I see in that's the literature. Awesome. So that's pretty yeah. awesome. Oh yeah, that's that's Ouroboros. Like we're gonna fight HIV, and you give us another disease to kill us, just like you gave us HIV originally. That's you know if you if you don't. Uh, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. So, yeah, and again, he he will not um, he will not come and defend his thesis in an actual scientific debate. You have to be you have to be able to um, bring actual data, not just conjecture, and demonstrate the point. And what what he's saying is that there's no no way that anything was spreading. From person to person, it was all. Someone was going around aerosolizing batches made from pure infectious clone. But once you've, but once you've transfected those cells and they're spitting out virus, those viruses just become part of the swarm anyway. There's no evidence to suggest that they just disappear into nothing. Well, I don't know. I, I presume. What, it, what was the number eight? eight replication cycles they <laughs> they breed the, they yeah they they mutate out to in ineffective at eight cycles i believe that was one of the quantitative terms that he shared um and i would which love is, to, which is ridiculous because well, i'd have, like to see the data on that like 15 Kevin said. million sequences yes 15 million yeah but that's yeah that's all um fabricated the, the machines are backdoored oh, okay. and um you can't trust any of so that. every lab Every lab doing the sequencing around the world was all in on it. Yes. Okay, so I want to ask you guys if you had this experience in your childhood. I'm pretty sure it's a yes from both of you. Did you ever play a board game with a sibling or a friend who, as they started to lose the game, threw a fit and tipped over the whole game board? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. That was me. Is there any? Is there any? <laughs> you little, you little smarmy cunt. Um, uh, I, is there any possibility that the the new Scooby Doosberg gang is trying to tip over the game board and say science doesn't exist? You know, virology. It's all fake. You can't te- you can't trust okay. anything in a PCR machine because there's back doors to it. Is it possible they're just trying to invalidate or 
cast aspersions in the general public. They're, they're obviously not going to invalidate science, but they're trying to do a psyop to change everyone's perception of science and doubt science. And there's nothing in science that can be trusted. Is it possible that that's part of the game plan here? Uh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Scooby Doosberg is the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I think you've said it before, but it just, it just hit me really funny right now. I That's trademarked awesome. it in the bunker, so. Okay, good, good. All right. <laughs> if there's any swag, if there's any coffee mugs or T-shirts, I want my residuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah well. I, want, I want my residuals for my anecdotal or for my anal anecdotal um, uh, evidence. This this conversation is degrading. I gotta watch you two. Well, and also and also anecdotal intelligence. <clears throat> I, I I I trademark both of those terms. So. I've just booked you for a two o'clock with Doctor Freud. <laughs> This, but again, the um, the premise on which he's trying to build this um, wall of conjecture partly comes from the um, who's their bogeyman with a bit Malone, right? That um, that Malone said that these particles, many of the particles are non-replicant competent. And so on the back of this, that means that it's impossible for transmission chains to emerge. And this is a, it's an inane way of thinking about what a infective particle is doing. It has to seed the area, right? And that's why you said that, well, I'd make the argument, that's why you see so many um, amyloid, amyloidogenic-like, in, inflammatory-inducing particles and um, interferon-suppressing um, peptides. Not all of them are going into construction, right? They're going into releasing from a cell that has been infected being taken up by neighboring cells and and that softens them up for when the virus has reached a point where it begins the um the release component of its infective cycle now there's a sort of cartoon image of the viruses just sort of build up and build up inside the cell and then eventually there's so many of them inside the cell that the cell just bursts apart and that releases mm -hmm. viral particles that way. That's not that's not how it works. And this is why they talk about um the, the basically the um what is it? It's the smooth endoplasmic reticulum pathways where they essentially get lipid coated, right? The the proteins as they're being spat out as they're being uh, manufactured and these are unfortunately falls into the domain of exosomes right so there are these <laughs> particles i guess for want of a better description that are being um, spat out but also whole virions hijack that pathway as well from the virus's perspective, it doesn't want to blow the cell up. It doesn't want to blow its own factory up, right? It wants to be able to overcome 
the host cells defensive, which again is very much interferon related, keep spitting out infective copies of itself. But whilst it, whilst it's doing that, it's essentially again sp spreading and seeding these non-replicant competent particles. That's all part of the disease mechanism, and yet they're trying to build this into a um, an argument for the fact that the disease itself cannot spread, and that's it's fucking nonsense. So why do you return to it? Why give it any energy? Well, because um, Jay is right now tweeting. Um, nonsense, and you know the like, yeah. He just said so. So he just said another tweet, um, which consider no mention of PCR testing as a confounding variable. We already fucking know that. Like, no mention of remdesivir or midazolam or even overventilation to stop spread as confounding variables. We already know this. We've discussed it. We talk about it all the time. No mention of natural immunity or the myth of antibodies. We've already talked about that, and no mention of infectious clone methodologies. We don't need to mention infectious clone methodologies, because the question is that whether or not infectious clones can spread. They were and, making infectious clones in 1971 at Merck. They were making correct. thousands of liters of cancer-laden vaccine product. I wonder who got that. I've got a paper on a, one particular production project. But yeah, they were describing the process of generating uh, uh, clones and making mass quantities of them, you know? So, sorry. Yeah, but, but they can't spread. JC says they can't spread, so well, it must well. be true. Well, the, the, the insane part is, is that everyone, the reason people rose up, <laughs> I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic, or, or scientists rose up is that they understand we're talking about recombinant biology which de facto involves making fucking clones right the fact yes. that what the jay just picked up that they're that's that's what they're talking about three years in to the pandemic it just speaks to how little he knows about infectious disease and the impact it has on the body and again, you've got to bring the data to be able to demonstrate what it is that you're talking about. And all well, the time they demonstrated, they demonstrated in, in April of 2020, there was a paper that came out that talked about this, how this one person in a church choir spread the virus to a whole bunch of people. And they went fake, and they were able to shake paper. Well, yeah, <laughs> fake paper. They were, they were able, or so his argument would be that that was a location where they released the infectious clones. But what we see is is that we saw the chain of infection, and then they did the sequencing of those people, showing that they all came from this one person. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so his argument would be that someone went to this random church in Washington State. And spread these infectious clones on purpose. But I thought instead, patient, instead patient, Washington patient one came. I'm sorry, Charles, please go ahead. No, go, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I was, was just going to say, I, th I thought 
I thought patient one from Snohomish County flew in through SeaTac Airport. Uh, well, he did. I wasn't referring to patient one. Oh, I thought but... you were talking about Snohomish patient one. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. This was a later. This was a later event after it was already um, com- mm. in, spreading in the community. So this was. I think it was March when the actual event happened, but the paper came out in April or May, and it was like a. But first it came out as a news story, and it was even. I mean, it was used by by government by public health officials like Fauci to say, "Oh, hey, well, this is why lockdowns are important." But the truth is, is that it's if it's an aerosolized virus, there's air circulation and time spent around the person is what matters. Mm-hmm. Which is why I've used the example before of there was studies done that showed. If you're in an airplane and and there was someone who is sick and actively shedding virus mm-hmm. and you were sitting next to them, it was highly unlikely that you would get sick because of the, of how strong the constant air circulation was and the filtration of the air in the airplane. So That's most surprising. of the spreading most of the spreading takes place in the airport not on the airplane uh, you, you know what that's they do because of aerosolization uh, well, when did i but in november when i went to the us right and uh just the lady i forgot hostess no well air hostess that's what we call them right um this wasn't some slim young attractive uh mm-hmm. lady this was some from B fifty something. Yes, yes. <laughs> with a with a big fat sausage fingers and what have you, and she was like, "We're in a safe space, Kevin." Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> she was like, "Would you like a drink?" And I was like, "Sure, I'll have." Uh, and I, I I won't drink alcohol on a plane. I've had too many bad experiences. Just uh, um, it doesn't with that, what. Alcohol on plane, it just goes, just gives me immediate headache. What do you do? What do you end up doing, for God's sake? Uh, um, I, I bring my own drugs on board, dude. Oh, God. No, <laughs> I, I meant with if, booze. I don't know what happens when you drink on a plane. What, what do you I, I just get? get I, I just, nothing. I just get immediate headache. Like, it's, it's, oh, it's straight okay. to hangover for me, not the oh, euphoria gotcha. from gotcha. alcohol for some reason. Right. And um, I, learned to, I learned this lesson the hard way mm, multiple okay. times. But I'm just watching her handle this plastic cup and poured. And I think I actually might have even asked for a little bit of wine to go with the meal, right? I'm just looking at her hands all over the plastic cup and I was like, ah, can't drink it. Sorry. (laughs) And it just, it just sat on the, uh, on the tray with, with my meal. And I, I would drink from my own bottle of water that I brought onto the the plane itself mm-hmm. um so yeah maybe maybe you can get away with um aer- aerosol transmission on a plane but contact just needs uh just needs one typhoid mary air hostess <laughs> yeah you get sick and so um planes for me are just uh i've, I've always been leery of them right because i've got sick so often after them well look what happened to charles on this last trip yeah but yeah. i i don't think he got that on the plane to tell the truth he was here okay. a good good week or so and um yeah 
we're just we're in a wave in and right yeah, now i've I seen it i don't know why it's it's out of season with respect to quote unquote flu like viruses for some reason I, I don't know why um again you could there are many factors i would look at again is the robustness of the virus itself We've, we know this from the atomic force microscopy experiments um it seems particularly robust with respect to surfaces um and again the um i i, I don't consider it a respiratory pathogen right you can swallow it and it can get you through the gut as well and this is again this is people thinking one dimension right that um everyone has to respond the same way to the same toxin that's just not how biology works right that, that, look in japan there are people here i've seen it right it's true this happens they can drink one glass of alcohol they flush bright red and it's like they've drank a whole bottle of sake right they just don't metabolize alcohol very well yet there are other people Jessica. sorry there are other people who can just drink like their legs are hollow and you won't be able to tell that they've been drinking right? we'll talk about the irish like that stupid <laughs> <laughs> and, and look on land i'm i'm one of those people right i can drink a, a lot and remain relatively functional mm -hmm. right? um i'm not staggering i'm not you know my speech might slur a little my impulse control might get a little worse but um the um i can drink a lot and not um n not have that are you've Paralytic. You have that word in the US. We say paralytic paralytic drunk, we call it. No. It's the first time I've actually heard it. Yeah, well, it's just, I've heard of that before. Yeah, but, you know, you see people come out and they're swaying backwards and forwards and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And um black we say blackout. They don't they don't recall. The the data tape stops at that last drink and then they don't remember what happened until the next day. And the idea that you can you you would expect all people to act all the same to the same pathogen is just basic biology tells you that that's not the case right that and this is so him making a point that i would thank rfk jr of course i'm going to thank rfk jr for bringing up what is the most fawny issue around sars cov2 and has been known for years that I've been talking about, and everyone will go, oh, my God, how would I write this, Dr. McCann? <laughs> right? But um, that was yep. um, that was an important, important issue and had to be brought up again and again and again. And RFK broke the ceiling on that. He enabled right. that discussion to, to take place. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was a good case study because you saw how they tried to shut him down with immediate appeals to anti-Semitism. And, um, you know, An I, institutional attempt to, to silence him through Congress. You know, we want to put a gag on this individual voice. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would ask people, right. Um, so 
I mean, why, why were we looking at my affidavit, Charles? I forget now. But what about it? Um, for some reason we brought it up and we were scanning through it in the living uh, oh. room. I can't remember yeah, why. Yeah, we were, uh, I think it was like point forty six or 47 or something. It, but it dealt with, ah, oh, shit, what was it? Yeah, but we bought, we, we bought it up for some other reason. And then we're, we're yeah, I'm sort I'm, of scrolling through uh, oh, I know why. Um, it's the uh, bacteriophage-like properties, and yeah, the, that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And so I've written in my affidavit about the um, cholinergic-type effects and the appearance of toxins, which is the basis for um, the grain of truth in the venom in the water rubbish that got pushed pushed out by Stu Peters and Brian Ardis. Right? But the the thing is there's there is there are these um nicotinic uh, nicotinic oh, yeah. receptor binding peptides <laughs> that, that that are part of the um structure the epitope structure of the spike protein of SARS and it appears that they're able right. to infect the gut and it acts as a um, reservoir in in the gut bacteria where they can continue to produce these um, cholinergic type toxins which have a homology to well a bunch of different species toxins so it's not spike that comes out. It's some sort of a, I'm not going to say plasmid because that's incorrect, right? It's a, it's, it's, it, it produces, it produce. you're saying toxin. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to equate the before and after of spike getting into the gut, the gut microbiome uh, integrating spike. And then what is the output? So uh, again, this is, I, I don't think the studies have been done mm -hmm. in, okay. in depth enough, but if it's acting as a bacteriophage, it means that it's infecting um, bacteria itself, hijacking mm -hmm. its replication machinery. Sure, sure. And then spitting out more copies, including, and I don't know why this would be, but they find the evidence for these short peptide sequences that are specific or... or they irreversibly bind nicotinic receptors, right? And I, I was making a big deal of this at the beginning of the pandemic because if you can interact with the autonomic nervous system at that level, the autonomic nervous system is um, deeply involved in control of inflammation. And if you can shut down autonomic drive through these irreversibly binding cholinergic toxins um, you can uh, you seed the organism to, to create more inflammatory um, states that favor the virus right the life cycle of the virus in this case and okay. this is where you get into sort of cytokine storm and what people should be asking is in Jay's career he spent I don't know how many years looking down microscopes and trying to patch clamp nicotinic receptors. 
Hey, I've that, that was his specific. That was yeah. That, I think that was his like dissertation, um, like study, and he was working. I want to say with Nobel Prize winners who were studying nicotinic receptors, and I believe it was in the Netherlands. But I could be wrong about that. But he could come on stream and actually just you know correct us if he wanted to, if he had the balls. But he won't do it. So, um, but yes, the fact that. Well, it, that, it, it, when it, we, were, we were sitting in your living room and we were looking at it and saying, "Okay, he could have he could have provided so much information to help elucidate the the effects of, of the of mitigate nicotine mitigate and he did an important thing M- right. mitigate this and he spent three years instead <clears throat> trying to dismiss the idea that it had an impact on the nervous system. It's why we didn't really get on right and so he missed the boat on that and then which is bizarre yeah which is very bizarre people should be asking themselves why why would a neuroscientist who's got a speciality in nicotinic receptors not be talking about that not be talking about the um cholinergic toxins that we're seeing when people get infected and this is this differentiates SARS from other well I don't want to say respiratory pathogens right but you don't find in someone infected with rhinovirus um, the bloodstream full of these cholinergic phospholipase um, linked um, peptide sequences I can probably pull the papers and both my both Charles and myself were just sort of sitting there and thinking, Jesus, what a thing to miss on yeah. his behalf. Right? And uh, you two can talk for a minute whilst I try and find the Talk amongst yourselves, Charles. <laughs> Do you remember Linda Richmond? I'm trying to eat my ramen noodles. So. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're trying to eat. Kevin's trying to file. So I'll just tell you all that I've been trying to click on Kevin's messages icon there uh, probably no fewer than three times thinking that it's my desktop. So I've finally reduced it down <laughs> from full screen. <laughs> I'm like, I've got to check my message. Oh, um, so I, I, I guess let, let, let me put a bookmark while you're doing that in, in this particular um tit for tat examination and go back to one that I sort of fumbled in about four weeks ago when that NIH uh, SV40 researcher came on the big stream, the big, whatever, eight or nine hour stream that we were all on. And yes, the, the JVB. And uh, he said, Oh, well, SV40 isn't latent. He just left it like that. He just he swept aside thousands of other investigations and papers. And I, instead of calling him out, I went, uh, I just I I didn't know about am I allowed to say you are so full of shit? Are you trying to destroy your credibility or are you just trying oh, to push the oh, outer yeah. envelopes oh, of our gullibility? Name? Name? You're right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring it up again. Uh, I I'll take, I'll tell you on the back channel, but he was a, oh, he was on. a, he's a bonafide NIH investigator. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. He worked on SV 40. Yeah. 
explain, so, explain to me what he was saying about SVP. So he 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 just he he wanders in, and we're in the middle of a very good, uh, basically sort of a, a lab origin discussion. It wasn't really a debate. We were you know different people were sharing stuff, and he comes in and inter- gets a, gets a mic and introduces himself as uh, I, he's he's not you know the head of nih but he was there in the early 60s and he said i was an investigator i worked on cancer uh, at the nih back in uh this this period and i worked a lot on sv40 and sv40 isn't latent that was like his opening statement and you could hear the jaws just hitting the desk around the world for everybody on the space we we're like what um and and i actually was I was engaged with him and I played the part of the, I don't know, the bumbling diplomat. Oh, really? Is that the case? Well, I'm, I must have missed those papers. I gave him every benefit of the doubt instead of just immediately crushing his balls. So what my question is, is about this exchange and this extended back and forth between, um, we'll say Kevin's camp or the raccoon, the raccoon bunker and JC. What is the end game? Why, if he if he has some very unorthodox or undiscernible interpretations of science and is going off in a direction that we can't understand, why do we continue to fascinate and go back and and poke the bear? Well, it's like uh, car wrecks, right? <laughs> intensely, well, <clears throat> intensely fascinating. I think to... it, I think it's more important than that. I think okay. what he's doing is he's dismissing evidence it's incredibly important he's so trying to we have to we have to respond and we have to elucidate the things that he's uh, for whatever reason he is he's trimming at the edges and painting a picture but but excluding major pieces of evidence that disagree with his hypothesis and so because and in a nutshell, if I, if, if I, so I follow you, I, because I don't listen to hours and hours and hours of, of Mr. Cooey. I don't. I, I listened to him a lot a um, long time ago, and then it kind of, you know, it kind of turned for me. So is is his major, uh, we'll say, the the void, his, his uh, phantom zone that he's trying to, you know, to put the topic in, is the topic the biowarfare and the production of, of this mm-hmm. weapon? Is he going towards remdesivir and ventilators and protocols and everything else? He's going away from bioweapons. Yes. Okay. He's going away from that. All right. All right. And that's the problem Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't know enough about, he's sitting here arguing that, that we can't do X, Y, and Z. Yes. And where, where we've been saying, it's not that it's because like, let's look at, think of Neuralink, for example. Sure. We we know and 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 Jay knows that that they're making claims that they can't really back up about how well they can do this interface and stuff. Like it's mm. still way off the distance. And so they're the You mean the sales and marketing department is spinning up bullshit? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Right, right. <laughs> but you know what? Every lab does it. Every lab yes. does that. Right? Yes, they do. But, every product, but, every fucking product that comes need, out in the world is over. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't they don't need to know exactly how everything works. All, all they need to do is know enough about the epitopes to put stuff in there and put a mix of stuff just to make a bunch of bad things happen. 
They don't have to know exactly every aspect of it to be able to make an effective bioweapon. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole point is to is to throw a bunch of stuff together at the wall and see what sticks. I and, would posit that that was exactly the the muck that was in the original Heptavax and smallpox formulations. I'll bet you exactly. there was much more than HIV. I bet they had exactly. they threw in everything in the kitchen sink because mm-hmm. of the spectrum of exotic presentations in OIs that occurred in the populations. And it's just like, mm, yeah, that was, that was, that was a, a one, two punch. So sorry, please proceed. No, you like, like you did a, a great job and that because you, what you're highlighting is incredibly important because that, that he went down this rabbit hole um, of, and what's ironic is that I went and looked at the science behind what he was saying. I looked at the the quasi-species swarm. I looked at the dynamics of it. And what he did was he rejected a bunch of papers because some of them were written by like Eddie Holmes or, or some of the other proximals. Well, it's not everything in science has to be a lie. And they what they were saying is that the, the, the coronavirus quasi-species do not act in the same way as say dengue fever they're less they're less diverse and they are more so they're more stable and 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 so that causes a different set of dynamics when it comes to mutations and recombinations etc so he he missed the boat on that completely and then me and joanna and kevin and i think even you like we had this long stream where where we were showing that it's not just the RDP RDRP that they're that they're using. They do are, they are creating phylogenetic trees with whole genome sequencing, and he's pretending that they're not. And then he's pretending that all the sequences that have been done during the pandemic are also somehow tainted. And the re- the reality is is that the science does not support what he's saying but he's not willing to debate us and he doesn't want to expose his audience to these other ideas. And that to me says everything he's willing to. Some of his audience follows you and I though. And Kevin, some of his, some of his team or some of his folks um, follow They're concentric. They follow JC. They follow Mark. They follow you. They follow Kevin. They follow, you know, they, they want to know when I'm doing a video, they, they retweet you. Right. So, well, you know, in fact, somebody did a poll, somebody did a poll uh, yesterday where they were saying, hey, do you want to have um, Kevin and Charles and JC all mm-hmm. in a Twitter space together? And like 95 percent said yes. So so people want us to have this debate, but he won't do it. Charles, did you I know you had a twin, but when you were a kid. Did you ever get in a situation where you were challenged to a fight by somebody that you were pretty sure was going to kick your ass? Yes. Okay. What kind of techniques did you use to avoid that conflict? Um, I used, well, basically I approached it as, cause, cause I was, I was, I think it was nine or 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you and find new ways to get to class? Did you find uh, circuitous routes home to and from school? 
No, did you? Actually, I, okay. I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I like I approached it, ah. and I I didn't change. What you I confronted. You engaged it. Okay. Okay. Right. What I'm seeing is really nothing sophisticated or or you know nothing at a professor level. I'm seeing um, there's a batch of evidence over there that's really going to be tough to battle. My approach to that is not to engage it. That's all I see with this. But yet there's still this spitball war going on back and forth. So, you know, I, I, again, I just say limited hangout. If there's, if there's something to be gained from the conflict, um, great. But once you get into that conversation, I doubt that either party is going to walk away feeling that they have really gotten the other to concede to the truths that they're um, that they're presenting or to the evidence they're presenting or that they've shifted the other party's perspective and they've essentially won the scientific debate. Most debates don't end up like that. Um, in this case, it might, you know, when someone gets confronted with difficult information that doesn't comport with their hypothesis, they pivot. Instead of actually answering the question, they do a what about, you know, you watch them. They, they, you ask a question and your question flies right past them and they do a neo. You know, the bullet goes by and they just sort of they're like, oh, no, let's talk about something else instead of what you just asked me. There's all sorts of mechanisms that are occurring very slowly um, again and again between the camps. And right, I would, my goal, my goal is to is, is not to win him over. Okay. My goal is to expose his his audience yeah. to the evidence that we have on our side that he doesn't want to show. Did um, we did we expose pro vaccine people to the wonders of reading scientific papers and using their their uh, critical thought, or did most of them take the jab and make fun of us anyway? Well, most of I mean, so I took the jab myself. Because, I'm sorry. Well, that makes because you was, part of the uh, part of the problem. narrative I control. Because, <laughs> because I didn't at the time. I was looking into origins. I wasn't looking into the science behind the jabs, and I I just happened to take my second jab just before Byron Brittle uh, came out, like released the uh, the FOIA of the Japanese distribution study of the lipid nanoparticles inside, I guess it was mice or rats or something. And that, when I heard that, and then like a week or two later, uh, the, there was that Brett Weinstein stream with Steve Kirsch and, uh, and Robert Malone. I was like, holy shit, they've been lying to us. And so like my son had already gotten his first jab, but he did. I refused to take him to get the second one. Because that was when I realized, holy shit, if they're lying about this, I need to dig in deeper. And JC would look at that and say, okay, well, well, you're stupid because you were just following the herd. Well, no, I did trust the science. And through this process, you know, I've learned that I can't. But, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. That doesn't mean that I'm wrong now. That means that I learned. And, and so... When he makes these arguments that, okay, Brett Weinstein at the beginning of the pandemic was saying um, different things, well, the, you're supposed to learn. Like, if you have these experiences, you learn, and then you you change your mind. That's 
That's the whole point. Like you're supposed to change your mind when, when an evolving goes. position based on evidence. Yes, exactly. So, so trying to have this pure using that as a purity test is retarded because that's what you want people to do. You want people critically thinking and to be able to change their mind when they see new evidence. And instead he's using purity tests to say, Oh, well, I was right in the beginning. Well, he's wrong now. And he doesn't want to admit it um, because he's built up this entire, I mean, he, he, well, I won't go into like all the details, but you know, that's why I, I was no longer, my contract wasn't extended with children's health defense and his was. Is it safe to say you have an ax to grind Charles? Well, yeah, I do have an ax to grind, but I've moved, I've moved past it. But what I'm saying is I'm using it as an example because this is exactly what they're doing with Kevin McKernan now is that the same thing they did with me, which was to attack me, to attack the credibility of my evidence and that, and now they're attacking Kevin McKernan in exactly the same way. The old undercut. Yep. Correct. Yes. And this is, it's, it's, well, it's disturbing to see that um, invective turned on Kevin. Um, he's, look, man, to, to step into the breach publicly and be talking about all these very, very difficult topics now look my understanding now from sort of reading the emas and the they expected there to be some degree of contamination from the plasmids um now right kevin seems to have found that there is some um the question now becomes well how much how much is too much and I would put forward the argument that actually they they don't really know because again you don't know how well you don't know in batch variability uh, and you don't know how the individual is going to react and these are yeah this is again I, I would try to encourage people to look at um, legislation prior to the pandemic with respect to gene therapies was very, very tightly controlled because they knew about these potential harms that could come from the the properties of making your gene therapy, right? And, you know, some of the earliest, and I'd argue probably still most successful um, therapies involve adenoviral vectors. some involve lentiviral type vectors as well. Um, but they, it was a tuned therapy for an individual who was under intense medical scrutiny. And we did the complete inverse with respect to rolling out of this. Well, again, it's a gene engineering tool. Anyone who argues differently is gaslighting you. And the simple right. fact is that the traces of the steps required to make the gene therapy tool are, are detectable in these vials. And you know the 
the simple fact that not everyone is keeled over with a massive coagulopathy or myocarditis or what all the other adverse events that people are pointing at tells you again that you don't you're not dealing with machines where you change one input and you get you, you can predict what the output will be it's 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 not like that with respect to biology and the the way that Jay is arguing is that it is like that, right? That you would expect um, a, a specific reaction to his infective clone hypothesis, that there would be a very, very specific calculable response, and then they work around that, and then they go and inflate everything by um, iatrogenic um uh, insult on people who um, went into the hospitals and look, I'm I don't have a problem buying the fact that the medical systems got weaponized the question you need to be asking is who's capable of weaponizing the medical system who's capable of weaponizing the um, the bureaucracies and and not just in one country globally that's that's the question you should be asking. And then ask yourself, if they have that type of influence and power, do you think they wouldn't use biowarfare agent to catalyze the reaction? And if you think if you think it was just all theatrics and all just ventilator deaths, um you're you're not grasping the complexity of the the to use the word brain that we've, we're having to walk through and you know the simple fact is that Jay was making a beeline for the no virus people from very early on he was trying to ingratiate himself with them and thought he could I don't know latch on to what was a very look it's a, it's a substantial audience right the people that want to buy onto that buy into what the v the vde team the, the what team vde vaccines oh, viruses don't exist i should yeah we, we wish it was vaccines don't exist viruses don't exist i've heard someone coin that phrase vde they're like vde and he, he tried desperately to um ingratiate himself with them um and again, you could see the tells in behavior from very early on. And the um, pe people who were biting into what he's saying um, need to take a step back and go back, read the literature, read what, or study what it is that we do understand about infective agents. And forget forget what I'm talking about with protein misfolding, etc. Just go and see where we are with respect to understanding of viral pathogens, right? And we're we're way past anything that he's trying to claim, right? Yes, they use infective clones to make a standard model on which to work from. That's um, science does that. 
right? Because you want to try and get as much agreement as possible between laboratories. If you take a wild type virus from Hong Kong and compare it to a wild type virus in, I don't know, London, for example, they're going to have different evolutionary routes and they're going to start differentiating differently. And they're going to, um, it, it makes it difficult to make comparisons at that molecular level, right? That, that's why clones were introduced as, as a investigative mechanism. It doesn't mean that there aren't the wild type viruses out there that have, that sit in ecological niches in humans or animals, etc., and um, are part of the life process. Um, <laughs> we, if you don't think that the agencies involved in weaponization aren't looking at all these factors and trying to find the most efficient ways to leverage that technology and that it it can't have world-shaking effects should they really there's a reason why they they went through that whole charade of saying we're going to make defensive biowarfare right that, that i forget the numbers with respect to the cost cost per death versus <laughs> biological nuclear and conventional right i think that was the, the metric that you showed me nick and that came down to like pennies with respect to biowarfare agents and that, that it was sort of realized that that's a race to the bottom whereas if you it's the costco of wholesale killing yeah mm. yeah and with plausible deniability i mean I, what, you can't, what, you can't there's no there's no natural nuclear explosion so i mean well they did find it they did find an actual nuclear reactor a natural nuclear reactor in the ground somewhere which is pretty funny a few years ago but but there's no there's no there's no plausible plausible deniability which is why SARS-CoV-2 is so has been so effective because not only can they say okay well this is natural but then they're doing everything they can to disconnect it from the neurodegenerative effects and the immune suppression effects and pretending that the, like for RSV, for example, okay, well, let's just magically become a pandemic because, because everybody, our immune or herd immunity was damaged by, you know, being locked down, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that's what they're, that's what they're, they've been able to do. And that's what, that's what we're trying to fight. And so, for JC to sit here and say, well, there's not there's not really a problem at all. It's all just the vaccines and the vaccine epitopes don't matter. It's just the technology is the ultimate rejection of reality. And it leads away from the threat that we have. And what the heck are you looking at, Kevin? Uh, well, I don't have any ad block on this uh, Canary browser that I just. It looks I, like I someone's holding looking. a pair of panties or something. Yeah, yeah. I got. I was trying to read a very serious article about Porton Down, and then <laughs> then there's uh, a pair of panties. Porn and that... Down. <laughs> 
apparently there's a there's hole a on, on something and yet there's, there's a hole on some paper. panties that uh is for uh some specific function i i would just say finger banging chicks but um that's just me okay um, all right well i'm glad you distracted me with that that's that's interesting <laughs> Hang on. But, but hang on, let me just read this. So this is Paul you have activated his libido. Um <laughs> so uh uh coming back to coming back to um uh, uh kind of kind of for me where all of that last part of the conversation brought me back to is sort of glowing. It's a shining simple concept. You will win this argument by turning the other cheek and focusing on the um, emerging and important disease mechanisms. And as much as you can and want, have the competence to trace it back and forth to individual parts, this gene, that motif, that binding site, whatever. Lovely. That's great. But don't focus on the tit for tat on the playground fight. JC's going to fight you behind the portables uh, after second lunch. You better meet him there. Instead of passing the notes back and forth, focus on what's important for people. And that isn't yet another cage match between mouth breathing, knuckle dragging people. Uh, but uh, focus on the cutting edge of therapies, insights, um, realizations like Kevin, you know, you bringing the, the T cell issue forward. Um, I got that from you. I hadn't seen that item. And that's very, very important. And that's where I think I think your victory isn't about um, becoming um, the best ninja, you know, doing doing uh, Street Fighter and winning the well, match. I think, I think we've done a good job of that I, because I think we I think back in March is yeah. when we just kind of like we still make fun of JC, yeah. but we've moved on. And I, that's why I think that this this uh, Twitter no, have you have you of that. Yeah, we're but, still uh, back well, here. Honestly, talking yeah, but, about but Nick, what one of the right, things that I do? He's the... still he he's still he's still maintaining. Like he's gotten Michael Yeadon and Paul Alexander and other people yes. involved, and yes. I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to pull um, some people out of that. Like like Kevin McKernan, and I think Jessica Rose now, and like we've gotten people to realize that he's full of shit and doesn't know what he's talking about and we're winning that way. But so, so I, I don't know. I think, I think we've done a good job of, of balancing that. And, and, that, um, part, and part, that part of my bread and butter is just pounding on people in a piss tape type <laughs> fashion, right? That's what I do. When so. I'm not flashing my panty ads, I'm pounding on people. <laughs> Come and get it, motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, no, okay. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. People um, like man, it. Spend, we, people we, like we do it. spend a lot of time talking behind the scenes about yeah. all of these issues, like me and Kevin, yeah. especially since I've been here, because we know how important it is. Yeah. And we know that we have to, we have to get people to divert away from the stupid bullshit to the actual evidence. And so JC's JC's kind of like a foil, but he's not ultimately the goal of what we're trying to do. And I think I think the space we just did was a really good response to that. We didn't talk about JC, we didn't talk about no virus. We we talked about you know bioweapons, we talked about gain of function in the context of SARS-CoV-2 and we were able to do it and kind of open it up more to a French audience as well. 
and and so I think I think that we're doing a good job of that. I was very and, happy about um, that. I heard I caught a little bit of that, and that's when I started interacting on the chat. So well done. That was that's an important step is branching over language barriers, and and shout out to Mr. Simon, um, our our um, our. <laughs> I want to make make fun of him while I'm complimenting him. Um, he's he's got things in the pipeline about translation and using our you know growing database of content to to jump that language barrier and get it out to a much broader audience so well done simon yes yes there's uh and, and well done to annalise and um to do, dopamine do, as well may we may we magnifique yeah it's uh when when women are speaking french it's uh it's very sexy <laughs> But when, when gay men say it, uh, well, I'm sorry, when I just said when, when, when dudes when, speak when French, men say, speak French it's, they sound gay. Yes. Yeah, it sounds gay as fuck. Yeah, but you know, you <laughs> know that a lot of Americans say, oh, you know, that whole that old trope from the 80s, uh, fish called Wanda, you know, that all British men sound gay. And uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that's the case at all. But, you know, it's one Oi. of those. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. There's I trust your judgment on this issue. So. Yeah. yeah, but no, but here, oh, speaking of that, just for a moment to make everybody in the in the bunker that's squirming about this squirm even a little bit more and then we'll leave it. Um, Kevin, I challenge you not to Daddy. do the whole not to do the whole thing. But the next time that you do uh, your effeminate British voice, you know, when you're narrating somebody that you're making fun of and you go into your little fun, oh, you know, yeah. your baggy voice, I want you to do full pepper pot. I want you to just let it happen, let it out and become, you know, your mother, I think probably is who most of the Python pepper pots were based on. But um, wow. it's we were we were laughing about that the other day. I don't know if you saw us giving you shit. Uh, I don't know. I've got I've got to maintain some uh, some. No, you just bring it up into the falsetto range. That's all you've got to do. You keep doing your thing. You can do the faggy voice, but bring it up there. You know, just bring just make it extra silly, and uh, I'll bet you'll get more. I've donuts. got to maintain some dignity. Okay. Oh. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's okay. uh, that means a lot coming from you, Kevin. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. Mm. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. So I don't know if there's anything. What are we even talking about now? We're yeah, not, not much. Out. I was going to say, these, this This is the time to wrap it up and mm -hmm. come back for the get next one. Get me out of bed without coffee and see what you get. Yeah. Sorry, bro. Um, it's all right. It's all right. The, yeah. So just to, just to round up, I thought the space was very good. It's good to see uh, that people want to learn this um this deeper level right and that's that's where we're or what i'm trying to do is to raise raise that issue and you know the no virus thing is um it's still out there but you've got to get past it and you've got to get people thinking about these um these deeper processes and um what what the future could look like as they um, they're capable of turning them into avenues of harm and you know i i for sure don't want to see more patriot acts more um tyranny coming and the way to do that is to um look even the 
Ah, Bruce Nichols. What's their group called? Bruce oh, Nichols. Oh, Bio Panda. No. Biosafety now. Biosafety Bio now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I don't agree with everything that they say and do, but um, yeah. let's start deconstructing these institutes and mechanisms. Right? The people, the people pay for them primarily, so we we should be able to um, help direct the public's well-deserved outrage at, at the right targets. And, you know, if that means making sure that the virology department isn't getting the fire hose of funding from all these fence budgets, that's a, that's a worthy goal to be aiming at. Dismantling the surveillance state as much as possible. I'm not sure you can do that, but at least putting in um, as many guardrails as possible. And you know, one of the one of the big things is just the. Again, this is why I have hope for the U.S. in this instance, right? That it's come onto people's radar now that the tech companies via surreptitious leveraging from the government has been limiting your right to free speech and once people start thinking in those terms we can start dismantling what is um what is become or has become a very uh dangerous set of apparatus and um we either do it now or it's uh it's probably be too late may already be too late um snowden snowden tried his best but it's, you know they were they, they've got their hooks in and they're, they're never going to let that go um and maybe the way around it is more independent sort of internet and groups and what have you i don't know when you've got a horrible blackberry vine you can't be satisfied by just taking the lopping shears and cutting off the, you know, the most recent fresh branches that are sticking out. You've got to take a rake and, and, and grab that thing, yoink it out and dig out the root. And that's where I'm, I'm trying to encourage you guys on the same principle of try to, to find your balance between tactical engagement and I hear both of you, I get it, that having the fight and being in the fight is, is part of the fun and it's part of the brand. So, you know, I'll, I'll let off with that, uh, those ministrations, uh, but don't, don't ever lose sight of strategy. Um, can, can, can I share? Would you yeah, put yeah, up my, yeah, uh, should, should oh, okay. To, yeah. Okay. I'm sharing right now. So you've got to pivot over to whatever is presenting. I wanted to, if we're bringing it in for a landing, it says your screen share is loading. There we go. Okay. Um, I wanted to, to bring us in for a landing since we've been up uh, not drinking on a flight <laughs> or drinking on a flight <laughs> and getting a hangover uh, to something uh, positive and preemptive. And this is what I'm trying to help oh, you people. Know before, do... before you finish landing on that, I just wanted, wanted to let me just say I kept it in the – did I grab it? But I remember like starting – um, talking about neuroinvasiveness, and I kept, especially at the beginning, I kept making a point: people are losing it on planes, right? And the 
biological reason I gave for that was, well, if you've got something inflammatory going on in the brain, we know that it targets limbic architecture primarily at the beginning. Um, and when you're in a pra when when you're in a plane, your brain is undergoing. That's why it's so uncomfortable flying, right? Your brain is swelling and being compressed because of the um, pressurized nature of the the craft that you're in. Hmm. And um, and you know, I had this thing of uh, well, you know, I called it COVID zombies, and, but yeah. the 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 point I was trying to make is that um, where you where you're seeing pressure being applied to the brain, like you would on a on an airplane, I would expect to see emergent signals. If if we're dealing with fast spreading neuroinvasive pathogen, and he just can I share my screen real quick. Uh, oh, I'll stop. I'll yeah, stop. Sure. Yeah, let me just let me just bring this. Um, no, here's here's one of those data points which sort of confirms. It's, it's you know it's hard to sort of prove, but I, it, it's this type of sort of edge case. Um, oh shit! Share. Um, Throw in half a dozen infectious neuropathologies uh, and a whole bunch of glyphosate, which also penetrates the brain and exacerbates inflammation and stir. Yeah. yeah. So, wild airplane passenger meltdowns soared nearly fifty percent worldwide, and this was this was <laughs> one of the predictions that I was talking about right at the beginning of this boondoggle that we find ourselves in. Passenger disturbances on commercial flights have soared nearly 50% worldwide. Incidents spiked 47% globally between 21 and 2022. Total of 250 in the US referred to the FBI, according to International Air Transport Association. Look, if you're getting referred to the FBI, it means you've literally put the flight in danger. <laughs> it's not just, it's not just um, you sort of speaking in tongues as you're. Well, they're they're arguing maybe being required to wear a mask constricted the blood flow to the brains, but uh, a little bit. But maybe. mostly it's about the altitude and the pressurization of the cabin. Yeah, mm. uh, I would I would say it's that's the primary effect that I would look at. And again, you know, how do you test this? It's it's, it's you know it's in, it's an interesting data point. Um, it's something I would predict, um, but short of infecting people and putting them through pressure and g-force type experiments i'm not sure how you could ever really confirm it but you know when i see something like this and i see a paper coming out just last week which showed that all even omicron is neuroinvasive um maybe there's a paper out yesterday which says that there are differences in the impact it has on brain tissue um the original strain is the most aggressive in the brain and attack all cells i want to say except astrocytes um and isn't the underlying mechanism that it's whatever cell tropism it's getting into whatever portion of the brain it's causing an autoimmune problem uh well well it's not just in the brain 
I, I know, but we're talking we're talking about behavior, you know, the and and inflammation in the brain. Right. Is it is it a is it is that it? Is that is that potentially the the mechanism? And I I don't mean it explains all of these variations, but is that sort there, of there, there was a paper a few weeks ago um, where literally they show, they showed that. Um, in trans or infection with the virus caused misfiring of neurons mm. and I, I i spoke about it in a stream i'm not sure i'm not sure if i sort of i've become bored with it dude <laughs> <laughs> You can't get bored with the brain. You're our brain dude. So you've got to, what I was thinking as you were describing this is this is an, this is an excellent teachable moment for you. And that's to create a one pager, even if it's labeled as a hypothesis about this phenomena uh, and put together, you know, a simple scientific diagram, open up the toolkit and make a one pager that you can post um, and, and uh, allow people to begin circling the issue because COVID zombie is the fun early, you know, that was the, that was poking fun at it a little bit, but now, you know, it needs a proper name. Um, and I, do you think that it's a novel presentation? Do you think it's, it's actually new or it, it does it slot into existing um, psychiatric presentations? Um, well, it's not like, it's not new in terms of, the types of presentations it's the scale at which it's happening that's that's the difference and the and again it just comes down to how much did they realize that they could weaponize this and you know it's not it's not all about protein misfolding right there's many many different mechanisms that come into play once these um pathogens are circulating in the environment and you know the the protein misfolding is like the tip tippy tippy tip of the spear with respect to weaponizing that uh, pathology. All the other stuff is pretty well um, characterized in the medical literature. And <clears throat> the again, yeah, it's 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 the scale of of that response. And you know, I'm just tuned to look for that type of, of behavior in people it's i don't sure it's your specialty we get it yeah but 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 the point being is that it correlates to the administration of the products uh and uh that it is certainly again a disease presentation it's this is a psychiatric but that's certainly as important as anything uh and uh and who knows if you know if we are at the end point are we on our way towards uh and i don't mean saturation in, in how many people are presenting these outbursts but what the outbursts are the severity of these incidents um you know an, an armed person having the same break you know just basic break with reality in the middle of a crowd um something like that so I, I what i'm happy to hear is that it's well grounded in the literature and that there's a framework that you could use to stem this diagram to say this is what appears to be happening this is the initial introduction of the toxin however you know you want to phrase it and here's the progression to 
a point where they begin losing impulse control and executive function, whatever, you know, however, whatever, whatever you are, are basing your hypothesis on, but that's, it's an, it's a standalone piece. Um, and it's, it's one of the bricks in the wall to demonstrate that this infection slash product that's causing the health issues around the world is not um, a, a Scooby-Doo by any means. It's absolutely substantive. It is growing and growing and growing in scale. And to try and put that kind of a wrapper on it is unfortunate. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, it, I find it very frustrating when they try to minimize the post COVID syndrome that people are going through. Right. Like I brought up that example of the guy that died um through systemic organ failure <laughs> that was linked to his SARS COVID infection. Um now, is everyone gonna end up like that? Of course not. But if you look at the guy, he's f fit young man in his thirties, I would say. And it it took him and it took multiple years in order to bring him to that point where his organs shut down. Now, I'm tempted to reach out to the family just to say, what um, what have they done with respect to looking at what happened in the organs, what was going on? Um, it feels kind of intrusive and rude. Um, make a stream uh, if they had come if they had come forward like that i think it's there's a canadian dad um that lost a son and has been on a mission on a you know activism and educational mission and is certainly you know uh making his son the centerpiece of of the message i would say yes engage them if it's something you found out about and you've got a very well, they've you know, put out it, a, it, a press release it's it's as, uh, as, okay it's been done as okay. an article but again all right you know, the, you, you've got to go in there and ask them about but it's a topic. news outlet right it wasn't like a post from the family uh let's see that's just me you know sort of sorting the the morality of that but okay uh what happened no yeah it came through the news so um, that's not someone with obvious comorbidities, right? And mm -hmm. systemic organ failure, mm -hmm. you know, that's a there are discrete pathological steps you have to get through to um, to get to that state, and that that doesn't happen in young people, right? <laughs> it's just no. But wouldn't wouldn't the wouldn't the quantitative evidence of what you're saying? need to be accompanied by some pretty invasive steps along the way, some data collection that might involve biopsies or, uh, you know, uh, procedures that would probably be avoided that probably they wouldn't have taken when there'd be a, a lot of gaps I, just with a young person. They're like, well, how you doing? You know, I, they don't say, well, let's go in and put a needle into your liver and see what's happening. And that's where we would find pathological data. Um, or put, you know, the, the, whatever analyses they, they, they saw what was happening with the cells, the presence of toxins, gene expression, protein expression, whatever. Look, look, but according to his wife, yeah. Brandon Jill's contract, he was 37, 38, but in the beginning yeah. paragraph, 38 year olds just don't suffer from 
systemic organ failure like this. Okay. Right? This is a, something novel. Right. So has anybody looked at Amplogen? He did Amplogen as a therapy. He did it every. I know. Did no, but did anybody look at Amplogen with regards to organ damage? Uh, that's something to look. Okay. Into. Sorry. Uh, Please continue. So anyway, um, Brandon Gilles contracted COVID-19 in March 2020, developed long COVID symptoms such as brain fog, fatigue, muscle pain, shortness of breath. I, I can tick off all those boxes. Ask Charles what my oxygen saturation is, right? The, um, he sought various yep. treatments and therapies to improve his condition, including hyperbaric oxygen therapy, intravenous vitamin C, acupuncture, meditation, diet changes. He also participated in a clinical trial for Amplogen. Despite his efforts, Jill's condition worsened over time. He suffered from multiple organ failures. Admit Tarsby on July 31st, 2023, he passed away peacefully. Um, and again, there's a causal chain in that um, process, right? You've got the onset of infection, and then you've got this sustained long-term effect. And some people are going to have that effect more than others. And to dismiss that as um, being some sort of functional neurological disorder is unfair to the people who are literally suffering and going through, you know, when, when your brain is fogged up and you can't think and everything hurts, <laughs> it's a terrible test to this. It's not a nice state to be in. Right? And it grinds you down day after day. There's no relief. Some days you feel a little better, and then you'll um, you'll crash um, for weeks on end. It's, it's a terrible affliction, and it's you can say, okay, it's an N of one. I don't think it's an N of one. Look at the um, this. I think Ed Dowd's figures are so important, where, where they're looking at the amount of people who are having to claim disability they cannot work anymore and as far as i'm aware in the u.s um they don't really give you social security for the rest of your life when you turn up if you if you're not part of the va system and you're a private citizen um the social security isn't really there for you right you don't get uh maybe you get a little help with unemployment benefit but how long does that last and you're seeing a massive increase you know whether it's the vaccine or not i, I don't know i would you know this oh, the disability yeah the disability levels uh, is mm. the latest signal that for me is like yeah you've got a whole lot of neurological stuff happening and and fatigue energy things like you described yep i would i will wager that the majority of that is neurological um now in this particular instance when there's systemic organ failure what what could cause that well you know is, is there uh we've talked about systemic amyloidosis um as being a mechanism here um i'm presuming if he's gone through hyperbaric oxygen etc they're checking his oxygen levels and they would have been working on that and um you know there are active things you can be um getting 
but to help it intervene there. But um, I, I would be, I would want to see the Congo red staining from his organs, and that yeah. that may answer why everything failed the way it did. Um, okay, so you feel like there's something that at at point of autopsy could could be fully it would describe the, yes. the course of okay okay and it, it could be you know cardiac amyloidosis for all we know and again you don't you can get cardiac amyloidosis you can do the autopsy and you can look at the heart and it looks anatomically normal you have to do the tissue staining to see if there's the amyloid in there and how many people right now, right, for every one of these people and all the people that are dying of non-COVID, non-COVID related conditions, because that's where all the excess death is. What mechanism is, is going on right now? That's, that's why I made a point of pointing to that PET study. Right? Mm -hmm. We can see fingerprint post-injection of amyloidosis. And... Some people are going to be more sensitive than others. And the, the, the problem you're dealing with is the, you know, what, what do we see? 10 to 15% excess or let's take that for post-COVID conditions as well. We'll take 15%. Figures vary. It means that there are 80% of people right now walking around thinking, oh, everything's A-OK. -okay. Right? So that you've got this survivor bias kicking in and couple that with cooey type um, delusions, then you're going you're gonna to miss these types of signals. This person doesn't look like a fentanyl user to me. <laughs> right? this, this is a person that was building his own high-tech company from what I understand and got crippled and maimed. And many people have been crippled and maimed at the moment. And Alvin Charles are making the point that that's what they aimed for, right? You don't want people to die immediately because then that raises too much suspicion. You want this Well, time. it also leads, it also creates a massive healthcare burden in the long term. Mm. So it, a massive we're talking about massive increase in healthcare burden because of all these different things i mean look uh, look at the crazy shit that i've had to deal with just since early yeah, 2020 last three, three four weeks right <laughs> just well just the last three or four weeks but i i i went to the doctor thinking i was having a stroke just for christmas in 2020 um and that was before I got the jab. So there's there's obvious effects and there's a panoply. And I mean I didn't we didn't do PCR testing whenever I got sick like six weeks ago, but you know, we're we're pretty confident that it was SARS. And uh and and yeah, I'm and now like I have immune system like issues I can tell and I'm having these this like nerve pain and, and other stuff and it's it's obvious 
that, well, it started right as I was getting over the other symptoms. So to me, like there's a clear correlation and so it's incredibly frustrating when we have all real world evidence and, and our own lived experience. I mean, I could tell you about my mom and the things that she's gone through. Um, but the bottom line is, is that what he's saying is that none of that is real and that it's all just vaccine related. And it doesn't even matter what the epitopes are. It's just the transfection. Oh yeah. That's, itself. that's the, that's the other insane nonsense that he's coming out with right that um it doesn't matter what peptide is expressed you'll get the same outcomes um right. look there's a whole there's a whole branch of literature where they're going in and um making medical interventions and i would look, yes that lipid nanoparticle is inflammatory to some degree and they're putting a lot of effort into um, tuning these particles. But I will biologically guarantee you there's a difference between expressing an endogenous peptide that you make that's part of your normal physiology versus an amyloid-loaded nicotinic toxin-filled <laughs> peptide that basically goes around the body and expresses at unknown rates. Mm, delicious. <laughs> this is, again, this is something that, um, this is, it's just something that he's pulled out of his ass, this cooey we're talking about, to, to try Anal, to. Anal evidence. We say, we say PIA picked out of the, or POA picked out of the air. Picked out of the air or ass. But um, <laughs> this. If if people are sitting there nodding at that and saying, mm-hmm, yeah, he he's he's got it. Just um go read the fucking literature for fuck's sake. Hey, this is this is um Well, I I I don't know. I I could just go on and on about how frustrating it is to hear um nonsense like that. Charles, do you have a copy of the art of war with you? Yes, it you, guys, you should leave. You guys should leave through some of the founding principles about sapping the energy of your enemies. You need to think about that with this. Oh with yeah, this well, situation. I've read it. I've uh, read it. Well, and I'm asking you to apply it. So um, I'm asking. Well, okay. So it might be the medication talking, but um, I think that the bigger. You're right in that sapping the energy of the enemy is is a big part of it. Um, but I would say that the real thing that that that's happening is that they're trying to keep the initiative, keep us always on the defensive, always trying to respond to all this stupid bullshit. Yes. And really, what we need to do is put them in that position. I think that's what we were able to do when we released the diffuse proposal. We surprised them with it. They didn't know it was coming. And we had the initiative for a while and they were having to respond. 
but we haven't done a good job of maintaining that. And I think that's been the biggest. The, yeah, that's the thing hard, that's that's hard, hard when you don't have yeah. the levers to the mass media. Like that that's what we're right. dealing with. And then and then within this little resistant network, you've got retards <laughs> firing not firing downrange, right? And you know, we I'm of the opinion you're gonna be constantly stuck in that um type of environment. And you know, tomorrow we'll wrap up soon. But the, the next stream I'm gonna do and uh try not to uh I'll try to be there, Charles. But we're gonna we're gonna take a look at the latest with respect to Robert Malone and what he's talking about. And he's talking about what I've been talking about, Charles has been talking about, and others have been talking about, and now he's mentioning so we've had them mention the advantageous polymorphisms within the last few mm -hmm. weeks. And now Robert Malone is talking about, well, Israel is not a signatory to the nuclear biological warfare treaties. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, hmm. th that's, that's that's becoming the... Um, he's starting to talk about it. And so people will follow um, where he goes with it. And I'm... But not... will he at the same time emphasize that neither did the CIA? He's, he, is, so. he, he is saying that. He is talking oh, about okay. that. So... Okay. Um, Again, you know, I don't, I don't know. But, but what is his ultimate, what is he doing? Because it's like, it's like he's slowly, Double very agent. slowly releasing, he's trying to control the pace. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that he's got, he's been boosted. And so now he has this massive audience. Oh yeah. And so he can, he can control the pacing of the release of this stuff and also protect his own legacy by not including the parts that make him look really bad. So everybody edits their own history. Um, so when he does these little videos with him and the horses in this beautiful, pristine property and all of that, you know, I'm the most interesting man in the world that, that, uh, I, I, I think everybody wants to be seen in the best light, um, and egotism aside, you know, I, I think that he's enjoying the celebrity. Uh, I've heard him talk about his wife working on him to be more humble and less of a, I don't know what, what she's, she, I don't know how he was before. I didn't really know about him before, but anyway, so he's, he's, well, I like to call him my, my name for him is the most obfuscating beard in the world. So. Kevin's Kevin, we're nominating you for the most interesting man of the world. You're going to take you get it for uh, 2023. No, I don't, don't, don't want to be that. Look, you man, don't want to be that guy. Okay. Nah, if, I, if I'd have my way, I would. I wouldn't be in the public view at all. No, not after the work that I've done. Um, Agreed. I would have um, liked to have just <laughs> let it sit in the dusty, dusty uh, <laughs> academic volumes and. Um, be forgotten about um and gone off to your little rice patty i get it mm. um and i wasn't saying agreed that i wish you weren't in the public air i'm saying i too i would not be talking and being on streams and things like that i would just live my life but anyway um are you sharing out 
to the to the raccoons? Yeah, it's still streaming. So. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, this is what I wanted to close on. This is a high note. It's a happy thing. It's a good thing. Oh, this yeah, is um, this is the Tippins protocol, um, and the Tippins protocol is a combination of pharmatherapy and phytotherapy. Uh, and if you didn't know, pharmatherapy is all derivative from phytotherapy, but it's cleaner and simpler molecules in a lot of cases and a lot more control over the molecule structure. Um, what it's what it's lacking is the rich polyphenol diversity and the molecular diversity of your phytotherapies. So this is a combination of things that you take that you could do as a prophylactic. And considering what we were just discussing about inflammation in the brain and all of the different things that can infect the brain, the hundreds and hundreds of, I mean, there are over a thousand parasites that we're susceptible to. Of those, I have not seen anyone do a definitive list of saying these are the versions, these are the ones that we have found in brain biopsies or brain, brain autopsies. But there's a whole lot that do cause presentation in the brain. The point being, is that this protocol could very well help reduce your risk or your suffering with an existing psychiatric infectious condition. It could also reduce or eliminate some of the risk factors for cancer getting a hold in your body and presenting. We're fighting cancer all the time. We have cells that want to grow out of control. We get toxins, we get oncogenes, we get things that trigger cancer, but we have this beautiful homeostasis that prevents it. Some of the bugs that get in and some of the toxicities and breakdown of those systems allow the signals to stop. So our body doesn't get the message. It doesn't send out the right killer cells to stop the cancer cells, et cetera. So if we do a prophylactic approach like this, we can sweep the field. We can, you know, we just, it's, it's scorched earth as far as those undesirable um, latent infections. So here's the protocol itself, fenbendazole. And I would, I would say, start this protocol with maybe if you want to do fenbendazole in, in tandem, with ivermectin, it's well tolerated by most people. If you've got horrible gut infections and you've got a lot of pathogens in your gut, you're going to have a difficult time, you know, on the toilet. But uh, you could do ivermectin first. I'm just first. looking at it, though, dude, and I'm reading a class of microtubule destabilizing agents. You don't want that in the brain. <laughs> microtubule, microtubules destabilizing agents. Um, well, uh, you told me that uh, the blood-brain barrier was a pristine room. It's a it's a clean room, right? So, well, aims to be. Um, I'm presuming this doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. Uh, I'll have to read into that, but it's been you know aside from people that are trying to scare you away from Fenben, saying it'll make you uh, it'll make you impotent or it'll make you sterile. Um, I think that's the same kind of crap that we've seen from any pharma or big ag that's trying to fight, um, you know, the activists. They send people out, you know, to to pollute the message and to to say absurd things. There may be like the guy like the guy. So colloidal silver is not, you know, a miracle. But it does do some amazing things on the epidermal layer, in in the mouth and on the skin. It does some fantastic antibiotic things. Um, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't have the capacity to cure cancer or cure things that are deep in tissues. But they they trotted out that guy, the blue the blue Smurf guy, who I don't know what in the world he ended up, you know, how he 
how he got that pigmentation reaction, but they, they keep replaying it. That was from like too much much colloidal silver. I know, but that was like 19, I don't know, 92. And they still replay it as trying to scare you away from using colloidal silver. Colloidal silver is a limited therapeutic, but it has benefits and it doesn't turn you into a blue Smurf. And before antibiotics, um, silver was the, it was one of the few compounds that well silver mixed with opium and cannabis and Mm. god knows you know some of those elixirs they had so let's move forward so fenben is going to do what it is not an antibiotic it is not a chemotherapy it's an anti-parasitic so it's going to clear that a huge portion of that catalog of parasites that we can get infected with and that we most likely have just from eating just from the food supply next is a phytotherapy and this is curcumin. And I would say that turmeric is a, you know, if you do the, the golden turmeric milk, uh, you stir that with a rosemary sprig, you're getting a really potent anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer compound in that treatment. Vitamin E, we don't need to talk about the benefits of vitamin E. Remember, your vitamins need to be paired with their companion minerals. So if you do vitamin E, do do an EAE zinc selenium complex, you know, do something like the airborne tablets that have all of it there with the beneficial minerals so that it will pair and you'll uptake the vitamins. Here's an important one. Now we're into the the uh, mycotherapies. So if you want to go and look at, uh, you know, Paul Stamets work and uh, all the other people that are publishing on some of the the uh, mitochondrial, uh, not mitochondrial, the uh, uh, myco. Hello, I need my coffee. Uh, the the mushroom science, the people that are combining different types of mushrooms um, and doing the the functional and and you know deep analysis of how is it fighting cancer, how is it stopping this mechanism in the body. This is one of the leaders, is the turkey tail, and turkey tail is pretty much organic. You don't have to spend extra money getting fancy fancy turkey tail. Get a turkey tail extract or get ground dried turkey tail and just put it in tea. And while you're doing that, uh, well, this compound has berberine, which is which is, has additional benefits. It's got a synergistic benefit with the turkey tail. But you could also add other things to this protocol. If you know of other anti-cancer things like orange peel and pomegranate peel tea, yes, I have papers on it. Um, you could add that into this protocol. The point being is, kids, cancer is not something that just suddenly happens. It's a slow burn. And there's a variety, there's so many pathways to make it happen in the body. And you can preempt it. You can cut it off at the pass. So that's kind of the white pill I wanted to end on. Uh, I'll just add this though. <laughs> that's a black pill. Um, we, threw, <laughs> we threw the kitchen sink at Charles when he got here and got ill. And... Yeah. I, will, I will wager that today is probably the first day of actual relief that he's received. Okay, so Charles, what what other than pharma, what uh, therapies did you do? Oh, geez, we uh, I got the <clears throat> the medicinals nine, which is um, has quercetin, bicolin. 
mm-hmm. uh, seven other compounds. Uh, that it's a new, it's a new thing that's just coming out. So I'm kind of a guinea pig for it. Mm-hmm. That I got from uh, Joachim Gerlach, who is hosting uh, like a teleconference that that Kevin and I are going to be speaking at. Uh, Kevin, I, Joanna, or not Joanna, um, Christy, uh, Stephanie Seneff, Ryan Cole. I don't know if you've actually talked about it, Kevin. But no, I'm keeping it secret, dude. So we. Oh, sorry. Well, oops. No. I mean, but but they're um, but basically, like, there's been a lot of stuff thrown at me that I've tried. Okay. And um, and that's what's concerning to me, is that. I can like I can feel like I'm pretty sure that like there is immune suppression like my body isn't working as efficiently mm-hmm. in that as it could be and that and so when you think about that and then you think about it on a population wide scale I mean I'm 39 mm-hmm. I'm in pretty good shape I've been doing a lot of walking since I've been here I've I've been having a decent diet and mm-hmm. It's still it's still hard for me to kick the the infection mm-hmm. and the after effects of the infection. So that um, it's concerning to me because because I am in pretty good health, and so if I'm struggling with this, and I'm staying away from people mostly, and and doing exercise and, and doing the right things, and it's still happening. That's it's scary because here we are, we're three and a half years from the time that this started. And, um, simple fact is that Charles had to step up the, the degree of pharmaceutical therapies. pain control to, oh. to function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've, been non, uh, I've been non-functional for the last several, like five, five days now. And, go ahead. and then that's just like, like I said, this is just the after effects, I believe, mm. of the infection. We did, we did and, everything I mean, could, from the think yeah. of a- anything you can think of with what respect to what people are talking about. Um, sure, we, we've, all we've of the binding right. inhibitors, all the binding inhibitor therapies. So, right, right root extract, pine. You know, any of the pine. There's several pine species that have an inhibitor molecule. Um, dandelion has an inhibitor inhibitor molecule. Were you doing the simple, simple phytotherapies like teas like that? Well, well, Nick, you need to mail me some stuff. Okay, I'll I'll mail you a list. But here's something that just occurred to me, Kevin. You need to get his butt into um, a clinic and do a full white cell workup. That's what you need to look at right now. Um, Andy, but it's... um... Well, it's just it's convincing the wife to uh, get you know to the wife that walks all the way through this stuff. So, oh, she um, keeps your balls in her purse. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, well, well I just need it for the translation. That's why you don't need a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, everybody. Once but, I get my uh, coffee, I'm going to come back and listen to this and cringe. But, but uh, you know, from with respect to you know, uh, we had. Um, ivermectin. We had um, yes. NAC. We had the Good. vitamins. Everything, everything that was there, plus 
antibiotic course during the peak of the infection. Then, okay. Um, okay, so you knocked out his gut flora with the antibiotic course. Yeah, what but, did but, you do to restabilize that? We were, he was getting um, gut, um, what do you call them? Probiotics. And, uh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, so all, all that was done. Um, and the effects kept lingering to the point where, like I say, in the last few days, pain is just, you can talk and walk, what have you, but it's, it's miserable. And we had okay. to, we had to go and, um, get prescription level pain control. Okay. And I bet I'm, I'll guarantee you this is the first, first day in a while that, um, he probably feels somewhat normal and that, uh, that is correct and you know every you can list off which is brew of herbs etc and um he's he's got them and the latest greatest with respect to vedic medicine okay okay well i want to i want to i'd want to disconflate what i just shared about the tippins protocol with what you're experiencing with your coronavirus recovery um the tippins protocol is about a deep uh, anti-cancer strategy. It can also affect other conditions. It can help ameliorate other conditions that may have arisen from a parasitic complication. What Charles is experiencing is acute and it's concerning. It's why I asked about the white cell counts and I asked about, um, you know, what specific, uh, you know, allopathic therapies were you giving um, to try and nuke it? And you think, oh, I'm going to take these antibiotics. And a lot of people just don't stop and go back and fix the gut biome um, after doing that. So it sounds he, like. He uh, did. So we did, um, we, we did antibiotic course and then, and then we also, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Kevin did uh he did also do something to help. I don't remember what was it, Kevin, to kind of rebuild the gut. Yeah, it was um, capsules of I don't know, it was ten strains of uh, gut flora. That... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but I, I I really like your idea though. I I think that um, it it would be good. I think it would be very telling. So I think but you're right. I think you're right. The, the issue, the concerning issue is that it's presenting neurologically. Right? What yeah. What, what he's got. Yeah. He's got no, yeah. got nothing. He's got no gut pain. He's got nothing. Right. It's a cervical level and, um, is. It's not, um, take you to the ER for a morphine drip, but. No, um, no. But is it, are you, are you getting migraines, Charles? That's no, different. Uh, it's it's, it's not. It, it's not migraine. It's um. I know there's different kinds of pain. Yeah, because I because I get migraines, so oh. I, this I can tell the difference in this. Um, in the presentation of this, so it's it's tied to the nerve, and um, wow, I'm I'm totally like. This is all like PII personal information. It's not oh, I know, PII. I know, and we it's should probably <laughs> no, but it's, but it's okay. Bring it in I, for I don't a landing. mind talking about it. I don't well. mind talking about it because I think it's incredibly important and it's incredibly relevant to the overall discussion that we're having. Sure. Um, and so that's why I'm willing to talk about it because people need to understand that that this is just more. This is more evidence in the, in the giant pile of evidence 
that what Kevin has been talking about for three and a half years really is um, a key part of this that, yes. that we have to look at. Yes, there's 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 a real fire burning through our bodies, through our own tissues, and it isn't it, it isn't a psyop. It isn't a sleight of hand. It it isn't a yeah. Scooby Doo. It's it's a it's a, a novel or a modified pathogen that is doing um, probably exactly what it was designed to do, and that's create cascades of different problems in health that are difficult, that are non consistent from patient to patient, uh, and make yeah. it difficult to pin down uh, and attribute it to uh, a, a root source which, you know, we, we've all been arguing about for three and a half years. Uh, something that I want to share with you, I've got a loved one who had migraine problems for years, and uh, she's, she's really, her, her father is a pathologist, so she's, uh, she's, you know, quite a, she's not, a, she's not a, a passive patient. She went after different therapies, and she found that microdosing with psilocybin extract uh, so a, a complete non non psychedelic dose. I mean, a, a non effective dose, as some people would say, uh, is uh, absolutely curative. She has no more migraine problems as long as she has that drip. Uh, she just puts it in her juice or water uh, once a day um, and just makes it part of her daily vitamin routine. And she has no more migraines. And you can get uh, those types of products in Oregon, and there are other places that uh, that's available. It's something I would I would encourage you to try if you haven't. Okay, no, that sounds good. Okay, um, well, what else do we got, or is it time to to call? Yeah, it I think a day? I think I think we can wrap up there. And um, the yeah, just folks, it's a complex issue, and uh, when everyone's telling you it's just one thing, um, back away slowly. And, um, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> don't d try to limit your exposure to all these toxins that have been seeded into the environment. That's um, they want you to get them. They want you to be incapacitated. They want you to go down stupid mental rabbit holes. All all of that. Then then you're in a sense taken off the battlefield. And yeah. Um, I'm. Without firing a shot, as they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, look, I'll, I'll say this: <laughs> Charles is his own worst enemy with respect to um, maybe opening the way for a post-viral syndrome, which was he got ill. <laughs> we, we treated it such that you know he didn't. He got over it, and then he's out walking in this Japanese summer. 10 15 kilometers a day now look, man, don't do that would be my advice right it, it, yeah when yeah i've i've been resting I mean, and but that's also been it sucks and this is the real sickness and the evil of this is that what it what it has done is it's put me down for the count and it's it's eating into my ability to be able to have a healthy lifestyle. And that is disturbing because it's happening on a population-wide level. It's not just me. Like, there's millions of people that are having these effects. And, and, it, and so here I am trying to 
get in better shape and kind of because I because I've been the last year has just been insane and so I uh yeah like I, here I am trying to do the right things and eat the right things and and everything and it's you still get schwacked uh, and I still get and I still get hit and have and, you done any any uh sustained or intermittent fasting well <laughs> uh like three days ago I didn't eat anything for 24 hours simply because I didn't get out of bed okay except once to pee so okay so that I have <laughs> not by choice but um it, it produces changes in the gut and outgrowth of new stem cells, new white cells. There's there's a lot that an, a fasting cycle can do for you. It isn't a miracle, but it's one of those little tools. And it sounds like right. you're getting, you know, here and there, you just make the gut, force the gut into that mode. Uh, and you can have green tea, you can have broth you can have water you don't you know you don't have to dehydrate but um it's it's another another tool in the arsenal well yeah i definitely i it's something that i've other people have also said too so yeah kevin intermittently fasts all the time and it's why he is the slip of the man that he is <laughs> love giving you crap uh, i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> No, 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 no. I've seen pictures of you, Kevin, and you're not a fatty, fatty bum bum. So that's not nice of me. I'm sorry. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, not now. That's oh, our cue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's our cue. <laughs> let's let's wrap it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the. Couple. What I'm gonna do is uh, come on. This just I want to say thank you to uh, Gina for a dono. But that was only one today. You've had top tier science and uh, entertainment. Send more. Send more. Feed the coon. Feed the marine, and um, we'll. Uh, Amen. We'll keep coming back and uh, trying, trying to um, navigate through this problem and pointing out the the bullshit that's floating around. <laughs> Journey to the center of Charles' immune system. That's our mission right now. Well, look, look, man. I'm praying that just enough. Um, often it's enough to just shut down the pain signals that, so that the body rests enough that um, you can begin to bounce back. The problem with problem with these post-viral issues I've been dealing with mm -hmm. they just you think you're over it and then you'll do a Charles and go out and work yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then um, if crash. it's latent if it's persisting in cells and continuing to cause if, if it keeps spreading to new cells like say the myelin sheath around your nerves, Charles. Right, exactly. And causing your body to constantly attack its own myelin cells and thereby degrade. You don't even, it doesn't even need to consume the myelin cells. Your body will do the damage. And now you're getting pain problems all over your body because the signals are leaking out. You, you need to get on some daily, simple, basic, um, prohibitive, you know, if it's still replicating in you, that for me would be the concern. It's like, I, I watched people survive AIDS to 1995 before there was the pill cocktail. That, that doesn't mean they, they mastered all health and they have the Akashic record in their hands. It meant that they continued to look at the science, at the data, 
at their friends, at what worked for themselves and others, and they sorted it down to certain areas. They generally avoided pharmacology. So I'm, I'm not going to say that what you needed for pain relief is bad. That's, that's, this is an acute situation. But where they found success were being patient with slow tonic therapies. And they made it to that threshold of 1995, and many of them are still alive. Um, but I'm saying that if we're dealing with something that's continuing to replicate in the body uh, and it hasn't stopped, you, it's very much like having a hole in the bottom of the boat. Are you going to keep scooping water out of the boat and exhaust yourself, or are you going to fix the fucking hole? So fix the hole and find out ways to keep it from replicating if that's the case. And if you can, go and see what's going on with your white cells. Well, and next um, next time I'll have coffee before I get on a stream. <laughs> I just I'm rude in. I'm just picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, just demanding you jump on stream. So. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. My cat didn't appreciate it. He's like, "What is going on?" <laughs> all right, gents. Thank you very much, and uh, I will see you in the next one, Charles. Next one I want to aim for is just looking at the latest Robert Malone and the drip okay. feed of information that's coming out. And look, I'm glad it's coming out, but um, yeah, it's the Pied Piper role. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, gents, latest. All right, folks, uh, that's me done. Um, support the stream. Come on, come on, Lex Build. <laughs> Send a donor. <laughs> I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it. All right, wow, there's 128 people watching. Um, I will, uh, well, my intention was to stream tomorrow morning. It's already 2 a.m., so um, we'll see. All right, take care, guys. I will see you uh, in the next one. Um, God bless. And, uh, yeah, uh, with this type of music, I'm uh, looking for more uh, more tyranny. <laughs> Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for most taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these papers! I will fucking kill each fucking kappa! I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these kappas. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever flows through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage! Fuck these motherfuckers! All that fire. I like this guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn dead. Let up! 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 Let